0: Welcome to episode 89 of Adult Music, the podcast with music for the mature mind. I'm your co-host Russ over here and over there.
1: And I'm your other co-host Mike. How's it going, people? I'm feeling feeling good because, you know, the holiday season is uh, coming up and the holiday season means two things to me. It means vocal music, <laughs> it means brass music, and uh, this week we've got a vocal episode, so I'm kind of feeling a little, even though it wasn't holiday music, I'm feeling kind of like the holidays are coming. We mm. don't do en- we don't do much vocal music on this. We should do more, really. We don't. We're, su- we're such we're such instrumental people, mm. you know. Kinda. But I know in classical music, most you know the the large majority of uh, people who listen to classical music like opera. Hmm. And I like it too, but I mean, I'm like uh, I'm more into instrumental music myself. I guess that shows.
0: Tonight we've got uh, opera. We've got singing and lots of swinging.
1: Yeah. We don't have a full opera though. We just have no operatic uh, pieces. Yeah. Excerpts. Yeah.
0: But we do have uh, some really interesting uh, material in the jazz section uh, as far as compositions and histories of songs. Um, oh, yeah. We've got old music with really young singers, which is going to mm. be an interesting combination. So Indeed. It was a real lesson for me to uh, dig into the history of songs. And-,
1: yeah, and as a man who's middle-aged, going on old, it warms my heart to see these, that uh, music will continue after I'm gone.
0: Yeah, it's nice to know. You know, sometimes people think, oh, you know, there's no good music or jazz is dead. No, 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 no. You just have to know where to look. And we do the music looking for you here on Adult Music Podcast, scouring through the new releases to bring the best in classical and jazz to you. Uh, So be sure to check back every week to get uh, the latest and greatest releases. And not uh, just
1: the best, but off the beaten path a little bit, you know, little bit going into like performers and mostly in my case composers that people normally don't listen to. I really want to break that image of classical being all, you know, Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, you know, and just people names you already know because there are tons of composers out there that are yeah. really great.
0: It's a whole mm. world of music and uh mm. different composers and it's very international too if you branch out. Uh, now everything's right at your fingertips. You just can't rely on what all the music press and critics and awards recommend to you. If you, uh, just become a little versatile, there's a great variety of yeah. uh, wonderful music and performers out there. So that's what we're here for to share it with you.
1: You know, what we need to do uh, the, the big thing to be these days is influencers. So that's, that's gotta be us. We have to be like influencers, you know, like the Kardashians of music. <laughs> what do you think
0: of that? as long as we don't need any cosmetic surgery for that yeah just,
1: <laughs> just as long as I have to make any like uh, tapes of myself in compromising positions I don't think I'm going to be doing that
0: no no only no. Uh, only musically compromising positions uh... well I don't even want to go there no <laughs> you know? rest assured Don't sure. want to be musically compromised <laughs> no, no only uh, top recommendations here so this evening Lots of vocal recommendations, going to cover a wide ground of material, both classical and jazz. Uh, looking forward to sharing these with you. But before we uh, get into those releases, I want to remind everyone, uh, as you're looking along and listening along, you can check the episode description for the links to Spotify and Apple Music for all the recordings we're going to talk about. Uh, Also, if you want to get all the music in one place, you can find a link to the full episode playlist only available on Deezer, that's mm. streaming music platform from France. It's our favorite one because it's CD quality and they have a really good collection of classical and jazz recordings.
1: Music for adults in general. Adults Although in general. they also have pop music too, so yeah, they have
0: everything. Yeah. Uh, but really good sound quality and reliability. Uh, they also mm-hmm. have podcasts. You can listen to the podcast there too. Uh, If you want to get everything in one place. Now, wherever you listen to us on, if you don't see those links or the description, you know, some platforms, everything's kind of scrunched together into one big line. Uh, You can come over to our host site. That's podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com. Everything's easy to follow there. You can get the full history of all of our episodes and links there. Now, if you enjoy the podcast, please follow, subscribe on whatever app or platform you listen to us on. If you take just a moment to give us a ranking or write a review that helps us get listed in the browsing category recommendations and then we get to grow our audience and get more listeners and we'd appreciate that you can also come over and follow us on facebook we've got a page there get some extra info uh, new releases throughout the week. I put up a bunch of ones uh, this week. Did you see that
1: uh, on our Facebook site? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't Super hear it.
0: jazz. Yeah, you got to check that yeah, out. Yeah, I got to check that out. Yeah. I also it's put up. Really a, interesting. I was going through some old photos this week, and I found a photo of uh, Freddie Hubbard and a New uh, Jazz Composers Octet down at the Blue Note in Osaka, which is no longer. And uh, oh, it's no longer really. No. Well, now it's Billboard. So. Yeah, the, oh, the that's, blue, that's, name is gone, but it's still a jazz club. No, it's no, it's not. It, they have jazz and pop and rock and everything there. So,
1: so now you're telling me this, and I'm all I'm feeling all depressed, and I got to yeah. do like this podcast now. What do you? <laughs> you <laughs> should have told that. me this before.
0: <laughs> anyway, there's a good picture oh, there. Uh, I got to sit on the stage and stay between sets. So you can look over xavier davis's shoulder and see uh, freddie hubbard there steve davis and uh, a great sax player myron walden i've seen anything from him lately but uh, it was a yeah. good memory so i thought i'd share it so you can go there facebook get some updates and otherwise if you want to uh, contact us directly any comments or questions you uh, can always shoot us an email at adult music podcast all one word at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you and be sure to reply Additionally, I'd like to recommend uh, a couple other podcasts who are kind of sharing our audiences uh, with like-minded listeners uh, maybe interested in other content. There's uh, Tom Gauker and his podcast Something Came from Baltimore. It's not about Baltimore, but it's a jazz, blues, R&B interview podcast. And some interviews with top musicians, uh, a few of whom we've discussed recordings from here, Todd Marcus, Joey Francisco. Put a link in the description there. You can check that out. There's another interview and uh, kind of jazz focused podcast, not only uh, musicians, but artists, uh, writer interviews too. It's Neon Jazz from Joe Demino. and something not really music related, but uh, kind of uh, human interest and embracing differences between people to build community and that's called the same difference. Uh, so it's kind of interesting. So if you need some more podcasts to fill out your week on your commute, uh, when you're doing your housework, uh, any other time to fill up with good ideas in your head, check those out. The uh, links will be in the description below.
1: Yeah, Neon Jazz, that's a cool name for a podcast. Yeah, yeah. it's very good. Yeah. Does he have a neon logo like we do? or
0: Not the last time I checked, no, oh. but um, yeah. you know, maybe exactly like our neon, yeah. I was just kind yeah. of pink and distinctive there, but... I know to who to set him up
1: out. with if he wants one. Fast Signs of Staten <laughs> Island. Of Staten we'll talk about Island. them later.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. All right. So, off to the uh, the uh, vocals. I think we're going to call this, one of the potential titles for this episode is Singers with a W before the I, so it could be read as swingers, too. We'll put it in mm. parentheses. And uh, so, because there's a lot of swing and everybody's singing. Yeah. So. There unusual go.
0: for us, vocal-centered, but I had a good time this week listening. I
1: did too. We should do more of these, I think, yeah. although I don't really collect all that many vocal albums anyway, but I have quite a few, nevertheless. I'm going to have to talk about one that I didn't choose that I you probably should have, but I already had my three here, so you <laughs> are you going to go? All right, so... I generally like to mix up genres a bit, and that's what I did this week. So we had this uh, vocal theme, and uh, we don't always have a theme. We try to find the theme in the music we like, but this week it's all vocalists. And so I started with Baroque, and Mm. um, the composer here is Pierre Giuseppe Sandoni, who I don't know anything about, but he's a Baroque-era composer. (laughs) And uh, it's called Cantatas and Instrumental Works, and that's exactly what it is. I like it when they, they tell you what you're getting, all right? Mm. And uh I chose this one because of the soprano Francesca Aspromonte who's who is as beautiful as her name and she has a beautiful voice too.
0: <laughs> that really uh, rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Aspromonte. Yeah. It's really good.
1: Aspromonte, band. I like that name. It's yeah. good. Yeah, Francesca is a nice name too. Anyway, she's a soprano and she's um she's had another album earlier this year where she sang um songs about Mary Magdalene. So, like, mm. as she appeared in operas or song or whatever. So, that's a, that's one to check out, too. But this one's all dedicated to the composer, Pier Giuseppe Sandoni. Uh, she's playing with, um, she's accompanied by Ensemble, not just a company, but um, Ensemble La Floridiana and the uh, conductor and harpsichordist on this album, and she gets a lot of time, mm. uh, Nicoletta Paraschivescu. This is on the Deutsche Harmonia Mundi label. There are two... Harmonia Mundi says Harmonia Mundi, France, and then there's Deutsche Harmonia Mundi. This is Deutsche Harmonia Mundi. Hmm. Okay. Anyway, we start out with some uh, vocals. It's a cantata called Dimmi Crudel, which means Tell Me, Cruel One. (laughs) For soprano, two violins, and basso (laughs) continuo. These Italian songs have these great names like that. (laughs) Go away, rascal, or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) This um, particular um, manuscript came from the University of Edinburgh Library. How, how it wound up there, I don't know. This starts out with an aria, dimmi cruda. It's kind of a little cantata. Cantatas are, they have, they have a little storyline to them, and they'll, they'll have arias, and then there'll be these um, recitativi, which is like a spoken sort of, um, it's, it's pitched, but it's spoke kind of spoken, sing-spoken. That connects the arias. It tells you a little bit about what the person's thinking or what's going on. And then we get into the aria where the singer expresses his or her emotions. Anyway, the aria, Dimi Crudel, uh, starts with, uh, this is track one starts with a gentle triple, triplet rocking motion to the intro. So very rocking already. It's kind of nice. This is a bright recording and the voice is mostly in the right channel, which I found a little odd. You would think the voice would be front and center if she's the only singer, right? Mm. But, I don't know. It's it's slightly in the right channel, but that's cool. You get a, you know, the uh, harpsichord, I guess, is a center of attention, too, on this album. It gets a lot of time. This um, recording has a lot of reverb, and it suits this type of music a lot. The singer asks where the love and fidelity her love swore to her has gone, while the contrasting second verse indicates that the infant god, who is Cupid... Uh, the, the, he's not named here. Well, no, how to punish her lover's cruel heart. You know, these Baroque arias get really complicated with these sort of uh, situations there. Hang on, I just want to check something out here because I feel like, am I, no, I'm good. All right.
0: By the way, while you're paused and checking there, I I should yeah. say, if you have a chance and you listen to this, do do check out the <laughs> lyrics because it's a really funny match yeah. The music is so happily happy and bubbly and the lyrics of a such a spurned scorned nature uh you know uh really contrasting i actually have a comment there. about that because
1: he that seems to be sandoni's style he writes this really happy music and it's always this person singing about how miserable they feel so i'm just kind of wondering if he actually <laughs> yeah. knew what the words were going to be before he, before he wrote the music i okay. <laughs> wonder yeah
0: yeah, I was pretty amused by that. Though,
1: let's see, the singer in the text is male, also, even though she's like you know obviously a soprano. It's, I think it's written for a soprano, but all the um, you know, un, un unless mm. unless the two lovers are lesbians, I mean, it could be baroque uh, arias got into some kind of funny things. There were a lot of like pants rolls, and then you had those the castrati who sang in a woman's voice, and they were men. We don't <laughs> we don't know what was going on there. Okay. Mm. So the section doesn't contrast much with the first section. Musically, it darkens in tone only slightly. Santoni seems like um, if, if he was anything like his music, he was probably a really happy guy. You know, drinking his coffee every day and just being happy. I don't know. Talking to passers-by while he's writing his scores. Anyway, second um <laughs> track, recitativo. Oh, disleale. Oh, ingrata. Uh, this more heated vocal transfers us from pain to thoughts of revenge. Oh, boy. This is a big theme in Italian song and opera, <laughs> which we'll find out more about later. More fully realized than the lyric, if not the music, of the next aria. Here we go. Finché spirito in petto avro. This is the third track. Uh, the vocalist says, as long as she has breath, she will hate her former lover. And I have to say, the music c- communicates, as Russ said, <laughs> none of this at all. It's, it's um, pleasant. It's <laughs> no. unaggressive music. Um, it floats over its 4-4 rhythm. In the second section, uh, Aspromonte, the soprano, sings that even when she's dead, her spirit will threateningly hover over this lover who spurned her. <laughs> yeah, know, right? Just the kind of a, It doesn't rhythm. end with her death either. <laughs> um, being, it's a beautiful vocal performance by Aspromonte. This is a singer I really like. I, I really am going to have to check out some of those older recordings. It's a beautiful voice. Uh, the emotion doesn't seem right for the music, as Russ said, uh, and that's on Sandoni, not on the excellent performers. Though surely this particular aria should have less bounce to it. Boy, <laughs> it's really weird. Anyway, check it out. Very funny. Be sure yeah. you have, uh, the words too, libretto. Okay. Cause, um, it's really strange. Anyway, we get to some instrumental works. Um, the fourth track is a uh, prelude in major. Mm. This is kind of nice. There are three cantatas on this sung pieces. And there are sort of instrumental works in between them, which is nice. It's kind of like one of those um, club, it's like a club sandwich, yeah. let's say, with the instrumental works as the yeah. you know, little layers oh, yeah. there. Little layers, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> prelude in an A major, and uh, this is an improvisation by um, Paschi Vescu. This is in by Sandoni for the solo harpsichord. This, it's a solo that she improvised leading into the next track, the Chacona. Um, it's really short, a minute, 33 seconds. The harpsichord is rather muted. And the notes ring, but the instrument's tone isn't bright. It's kind of blunt, sort of like um, if you think about a parquet floor, how it doesn't really have a shine to it. You know, that's kind of what this sounds like. There's something matte mm. about it, M A T T E. It is very appealing, though. I mean, that's not a, I'm not criticizing it at all. It's just the sound of this harpsichord, and uh, the detail is very clear. Um, The improvisation has many arpeggiated patterns, and it's leisurely taken. And then we get to track five, the chacona in A major for harpsichord. And this is from a a publication called Six Sets, spelled with two T's, of lessons for the harpsichord, Mm. London, circa 1745. Okay, so Paraschivescu, the uh, director and harpsichordist, plays the opening with slight pauses between each phrase so that they stand out. The theme is in 3-4 time. And each opening phrase takes up, uh, one bar. So it's like you get one, two, three, and then the next phrase comes one, two, three. In other words, the melody doesn't overlap mm. the bars, which is really what generally what good writing does for the, for in music. It's, it, it'll throw you off a little bit usually, but this is really just sandwiched in there. They get longer as they go. The theme, uh, there's a lot of symmetry in this theme. And as the bass repeats, we get variations in the right hand that meld into each other. This is what a chocona is. It's kind of a repeating pattern in the bass while the, um, the right hand just varies the material as it's into different sections. The variations get more and more aggressive as they go, but nothing that need concern polite company, of course. At 2 minutes and 11 seconds, there's a pause between it, before a new section starts. And Parascivescu lightens the tone of the harpsichord here to something with a bit more of a chime quality, which was delightful. I liked it a lot. The instrument is slightly brighter, and a new set of variations lead into each other over the repeating bass. So you get that kind of kaleidoscope effect over that bass. You can't, there's no line telling you when the next variation is starting, mm-hmm. though it's pretty easy to tell in this case. In the fourth minute, there's some nice cascading patterns and an unexpected muting of the instrument. At 4 minutes and 29 seconds, the sound is changed again, back to a brighter sound. The chacona pattern of elided variations starts up again by the fifth minute, gaining in speed and intensity to the end. A good performance, enjoyable, perhaps more laid back than it should be, but that's uh, the uh, harpsichordist taste there. I liked it. Hmm. I thought it was good. All right, and then track six to nine, we get Sonata Settima a tre in E minor. And this is for two violins and basso continuo. So we've gone from vocalist to harpsichord. Now we have a uh, sort of chamber work. This comes from a collection of uh, published works called uh, Corona di Dodici Fiori Armonici, published in 1706. So it's rather older than the works that we've heard um, already. Hmm. First movement is an adagio, and it's got this weepy chamber ensemble opening by the two violins with heavy dark chords in the continuo. And it's all over in 54 seconds. The second movement is an allegro. Yeah, uh, has It's a contrasting, cheerful section with chirpy violins. Uh, listen to the cello and the continuo. He provides a lot of the melodic echoes, or a lot of melodic echoes. The third movement is an adagio, a gentler, slow movement. It's lighter than the first with stretched out legato notes. That's about a minute long. The fourth movement, allegro. This has a bit of a jig rhythm to it. It's in 6-8. And the rhythm is highly accentuated, which is good. Um, Very bright sound, and the reverb is strong, but not intrusive. A pretty appealing, uplifting, but brief moment at a minute and 18 seconds. Uh, This whole thing is really over in almost four or five minutes. But it's nice. I liked it. Hmm. We get to the next cantata in tracks 10 through 13. This is called Qui S'Intende D'Amar uh, for soprano violin and basso continuo. And this is from Cantata di Camera a Sonata per il Cembalo, London. Circa 1727, I guess um, Sandoni lived in London. Qui intended Damar, d'amare, who intends to love or who's hoping to love, I guess would be the name there. It starts with a recitativo by that name. And Aspromonte is back starting with a recitative or recitativo. I guess in English we'd say recitative, recite. And she's yeah. saying here, love causes the cruelest pain whose only remedy is death. yeah the baroque people were really hopeful and i think uh i think they really liked hearing these these kind of things because i guess they couldn't express them themselves (laughs) you know these baroque era folks were very dramatic to say the least okay after this we get to the first aria piu crudo e rio dolore dolore that's a word you should all know it means suffering it comes up a lot in opera (laughs) okay Okay, this has a high, lightly sweeping 3-4 feel to it, and it feels like a lament, which it is. So he's, he's not going against the emotion here. And it, this actually sounds like the music matches the emotion. The um, lyrics say something to the effect of, a heart could not feel a pain more cruel or cold than love. We always think of love as like a good feeling thing, right? I guess not in the Baroque era. <laughs> Aspromonte's lovely light soprano is vividly on display here with an Italianate sense of legato. Very beautiful. Singing that moves the heart. It's very good. She's more dramatic in the contrasting middle section, which says that in the heart, Cupid has combined all the most savage and harsh pains. Oh, you people in love, how I, how I <laughs> feel for you. <laughs> anyway, it's a pretty aria. Third... um Movement, I guess you could say. It's a recitativo, track 12. Oh di me più felici. I think, I guess that means uh, more ha- happier than me or something like that. Here, the singer, and again, it's a male voice. It's because he's talking to, he's using A endings when he talks about the, when he talks about himself, he's using O endings. That's like a male ending. So I don't know. I guess uh, she wanted to keep that. Um, <laughs> the singer envies the animals that lack... She enemies animals for their lack of rejection and love I, I think I've seen animals get turned down though in like mating dances and stuff you know this guy's like this one bird's showing all his feathers and the woman's just walking away like nah <laughs> so I think it happens to animals too anyway that's what this is about and then we get to um, track 13 aria il vedere e non sperare to see and not to hope cheerful music of this aria offsets the rather depressing text again <laughs> where the vocalist laments that she will have to see her beloved's face without hope of being with him. We all know this feeling, right? This is kind of ever an evergreen topic. For the contrasting section, the music brightens a bit as the singer sings of how great her joy would be if she could possess her love. I really do wonder about the contrast between the texts and the chirpy dancing music and melody line that accompanies them. This is like, they're like totally different than what she's singing about. It's really weird. The singing and music themselves are all very appealing, and you'd never guess what this cantata is about if you didn't listen to the words or read the text. Tracks 14 to 17, we're back to instrumental music. Sweet in G minor for harpsichord. And these this is sort of um, put together from assorted works. Um, it's from Lessons for the Harpsichord, Cardiff University Library. The first uh, track in this, track 14, is Prelude in G minor for harpsichord. Um, this was once attributed to Johann Sebastian Bach, this is um, this recording here is very clean and clear, I'm picking up the chiming harpsichord sound from very close range. Um, the pacing on this is leisurely, making the harmony register strongly. Very pleasant. Track 15, in G minor, also attributed to Johann Sebastian Bach, but we know now it's not by him. Uh, this has a bit of an Italian bounce to the rhythm. Um, it sounds like an Italian harpsichord work from an earlier era, like the early 1600s, if you're familiar with any of those works by like... Hmm. Boy, who would be in that era? Giovanni Damac or the, um, those, I don't remember the names, but, um, my favorite era actually of Italian music really. Vivaldi was later than them. In this, um, one, the playing is very clear. There are slight pauses between each completed phrase in order to indicate where the phrase endings are. So easy to follow. The third movement is a Sarabande D minor. Uh, the attack of the harpsichord has softened here. It has less brightness and sounds more subdued, as is appropriate for a saraband. The rhythm sort of moves ahead in a straightforward manner with little or no accent on the second beat, which is what I believe a saraband is. It's, it has like an accent on the second beat, or maybe I'm confusing it with something else. I'm not really sure. It's pretty short at 1 minute and 46 seconds, too. And the last movement is a jig. These are very popular in Baroque suites. Um, a lively, enjoyable one, too. Paras Kivescu here keeps the lines clearly audible while commendably highlighting the rhythm. I always like to hear that dance rhythm you know, instead of somebody just playing through the score kind of without even thinking mm-hmm. about that. The playing is more attentive to formal structure than to generating excitement, but it's enjoyable nevertheless. Track 18, Folia, one of our favorite Baroque uh, pieces because it, it it's a set of um, chord changes that get uh, a lot of variations written mm-hmm. to them. And that's what happens here. 23 variations, in fact. They're all pretty short, though. Um, this famous chord progression is presented with a theme 23 variations are gone through in 10 minutes wow so that's what that's got to be like half a half a minute per variation <laughs> it's really short uh, the first variation starts at 30 seconds but you get the theme before that um, rhythmic interest is added just before the one-minute mark in the second variation now we go into various figuration in the v- variations from there now they all contrast nicely I really like the variation at two minutes and 20 seconds very early Italian sounding with its chords accenting the rhythm. Uh, the piece generates tension via some faster sections at around four, the four minute mark then softens around the five minute mark. As the variations go on, Padaski Vescu manipulates the sounds on the harpsichord, muting it, getting a gu- guitar plucking effect in the seventh minute, a sound I really love. And uh, excitement builds up again by the ninth minute as the virtuosity becomes more demanding and the building rhythm doesn't let go. And it's a nice soft ending. On a solid tonic chord. Okay, the last work on the album, tracks 19 through 23, is a cantata. One of the the last of the three on this album. It's called "Del timor d'un cor geloso," the timidity or the cowardice of a jealous heart, uh, for a soprano, strings, and basso continuo. The aria, which is, has the same name, talks about how the fear of a jealous heart is love's greatest pain. Um, the rhythm floats on its triplet waves in this piece. There's a recitativo next. Semai ti nasce in mente. If if it comes to mind. Okay, this quick connecting recitativo urges the lover not to respond to any suspicion of the singer's love. Like that she doesn't love him or something like that. Because she does. Or he does. In this case, it's a woman singing, I think, here in the text. Anyway, the third uh, movement. Aria rispondi, non è vero. Answer me, it's not true, uh, continues the theme of the recita- recitative in aria form. It's rather comical in places with staccato notes in the vocal line imitated in the ensemble. Uh, the jealous thought, sings the vocalist, is the enemy of love. Tell me about it. <laughs> There's some nice accompanying figuration in this piece by the violins. Uh, recitativo next, uh, Da Quel Momento, From That Moment a more pleading tone in this recitativo as the singer promises the lover he will see the ardency of her love till the last day of her life. I really like how dramatic Italians are, you know. Mm. And uh, last, uh, track 23, the last track, Aria, non potrai dire, you will not be able to say. Um, You will never be able to say that Dori deceived you. So that's her name, Dori, I guess. The tone of this is confiding with very light accompaniment when Aspromonte is singing. The contrasting section has fuller tone from Aspromonte, bolder, contrasting with the confiding quality of the opening. The boldness spills over into the repeat of the opening material, and the last statement by the ensemble before the final chord is full and highly detailed. And that's the album. It's a pleasant foray into this unknown composer's music of the Baroque era. I think I could hear why this guy isn't, like, one of the great composers of the Baroque era. <laughs> though the emotions are present in the lyrics, and Doni sets his text rather undramatically, so this won't go on any list of great forgotten composers for that reason, I would say. It's also rather uncomplicated. It's very nice, though. It's, very, it's a good listen. But all, the music is pleasant and enjoyable. I enjoyed the way the director Nicoletta Paraschivescu ac- accentuates the rhythm in these works and keeps to slower tempos than we hear in more virtuosic performances. Nevertheless, this is solid music making, vividly recorded, plenty of room ambience around the ensemble work, and clarity in the harpsichord works. Yes, one of the great things about this album is the sound quality. It sounds fantastic. There's a lot of nice kind of like room reverb above the uh, above the ensemble. It, it It just feels like the sound can just travel. It's really nice the soprano soloist francesca aspromonte lends a beautiful voice to some really conventional cantatas now she brings them to life through her singing as do the ensemble it's a dedicated performance by all involved And if you're interested in baroque music you might want to give it a listen um it's you're not really missing out on a great composer here but this is a really good album i would uh i would hear great performances i'd say
0: yeah pretty much echo what you have to say about it i wrote light spirited, and enjoyable in sound (laughs) in contrast to the rather dark lyrics, which you'll be shocked at if you look once you're uh, listening to them, which just makes it kind of fun. It's good Baroque music. Like you say, nothing really groundbreaking or that really makes it stand out. It's just really well done. And the sonics of the recording, along Mm. with the wonderful room sound, uh, makes everything really clear. And the harpsichord, especially on the earlier works, uh, is really astounding. I like the... um, improvised piece too with these waves of sound and uh, it really has a magical sound quality to it wonderful soprano voice it's just really enjoyable baroque music I recommend putting out in the morning and uh, get those good vibrations with your coffee going uh it'll get you pumped up. And uh, even though those lyrics are kind of horrible, they just can only make you laugh because the music they're set to is so positive and uh, upbeat. Yeah. You know what this reminds me of is the uh,
1: American composer and uh, teacher, uh, Robert Greenberg, was explaining in this one course that he put out, like on a video. I think it's in the great courses, how to listen mm. to and understand great music. And he's talking about emotion in music and he's talking about, well, think about it. If you mm-hmm. have the word, he, he's talking about how words are set. You can paint words through tones, and he was trying to give a demonstration of this. So it's like if you have the word sadness, what are you going to do? Are you going to set it as sadness, sadness? No, you're not. But that's what Santoni
0: does. Kind of, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's sort of. This is interesting because I was reading some studies of uh, changes oh, in pop music uh, over the last fifty years, and one of the changes now into the new century is a trend that's been going off in the 90s too they had that that is setting sort of positive lyrics with minor tunes with slow tempos and then also creating sort of ominous sounding pop pieces (laughs) with happy lyrics and it creates a sort of tension in the mind because you know the emotions don't match the lyrical content uh, from the music but after looking at this, I can see it's nothing new. <laughs> they were trying yeah. this back in the Another thing about popular too, music so. is that
1: like auto tune, you know that they they use that to make themselves because oh, they'll, yeah. they'll purposely sing out of tune to make it like auto tune them so that they'll sound like robots, you know, sort of like, like androids yeah. or whatever. And it gives an emotional ambiguity and that's what they yeah. want. It's kind of like you're hiding the emotion by using this. And it's kind of a nice idea, but I just hate the sound so much. That I just can't listen to these songs. It's really yeah. it's just really horrible to me. I don't know. Yeah. I just need that natural sound. I mean, I appreciate the uh what they're trying to do with it and what they're doing with it, but oh uh, god, I just don't like the sound. Mm.
0: I can guarantee there's no auto-tune on any of the recordings. <laughs> of well, it's the, not auto-tune evening, isn't
1: so used to like we'll be spared it's from usually that. not used to correct bad pitch it's usually used to as an expressive thing you know they want they want that robot sound in there that it well, sometimes sometimes yeah well, it sometimes. is i've heard it
0: you know. <laughs> there are some there are some singers I these have days who really them. need auto i don't know i feel like you
1: can <laughs> if you put if you pile up enough like production on the voice you can hide that i mean we've certainly heard that in hearing voices like without the um accompanying band behind them and suddenly yeah. they're all their pitch is all over the place that's pop mm-hmm. music though Never happens in jazz. You can't. <laughs> You're just too no. naked up there. And of course, in classical music, too. Next, okay, let me just say what this is. Okay, insieme opera duets. And this is something I've been anticipating, an album I've been anticipating for a year. The um, soloists here are Jonas Kaufmann, the tenor, and Ludovic Tezier, baritone. And uh, their are accompanied by, and this makes it even better. Uh, Orchestra dell'Accademia Nazionale de di Santa Cecilia, Antonio Pappano, conducting. And he's just a great opera conductor. Um, and you're going to hear that on this album. And this is on the Sony Classical album. Okay, now, I had a bit of a dilemma here because um, one of my records of last year, Freddy Di Tommaso's album, which I can't remember the name of, um, he, <laughs> put, he put out a new album too, which is kind of, it's not similar to this, but it's yeah opera it's 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 not like set arias, but it's like scenes from an opera. he'll often be duetting with someone else as Kaufman and Tezier are here, and they're not really standalone tunes. they're just kind of like taken out of the opera and I have a hard time listening to albums of, like this because I get sort of involved in the story and i and I love the the singing and the music, and I just want it to continue to the end, you know, <laughs> you know and it doesn't <laughs> it really drives me crazy, right. but anyway. I chose this one because I was thinking... I didn't do the Freddy Di Tommaso one just for that reason really, but I chose this one because I was waiting for it all year because we heard the Ludovic Tezier solo album last year and we both really liked it. He's got this rich baritone voice and yeah. those were mostly baritone arias too. They did stand alone. Now, in this case, he's singing duets with Jonas Kaufmann who's... Um, the two of them are at the top of their field and they um, they're fantastic together and this is the first recording. They're ever making of um just individual tunes like they've done full opera recordings together before hmm. um there's a famous uh, La Forza del destino with both of them on it. You should check that out that's by Verdi okay Another thing about this album, I was thinking, oh, tenor and baritone, we will definitely hear the famous the most famous tenor and baritone duet in existence au fond du Temple saint from Bizet's opera The Pearl Fishers but no we don't hear that here in fact we don't hear any um french composers here only italian composers although we do have french songs so a lot of italian operas um went to france and they changed a little bit and they sing a few mm-hmm. of those here too anyway and it's mostly verdi on this there's um the opening two tracks aren't but then it's it's an old verdi program except for the first two tracks anyway let's go through this and talk about this really spectacularly produced album it's just really fantastic in every way except that i want to mm-hmm. hear all the full operas with them in them. That's the only thing I, I could say. The first, um, track is, uh, by Puccini, Giacomo Puccini from La Boheme. This is from the fourth act in Un Coupe. And here, um, both of them are singing about, um, their girlfriends. Um, Rodolfo, who's the uh, tenor is singing about Mimi, who, um, you know, she's gone. And so is, um, Marcello's, um, rather, um, you know, seductive, um, girlfriend musetta who's always making him jealous by going out with some <laughs> other guy uh, marcello is a poet rodolfo is an artist is that right no it's the opposite Rodolfo's the poet and Marcello's the artist i think who's, uh, i can't remember now <laughs> okay i <laughs> both are poor and share a garrett in 19th century paris both have lovely melodies i think Rodolfo's the artist Okay, like he's the he paints and um both have lovely melodies and puccini Puccini, he's just one of the great melodists of all time. His his arias just soar. They just have these lovely contours to them. And that's the case here too. And really all throughout La Boheme, which is just a fantastic opera. Puccini empathizes with his characters through his orchestral writing, which is pretty great itself. Okay, so Marcello's with Musetta. She's flirtatious. She goes out of her way to make him jealous. And Mimi's uh, is said to be with a rich man so they're dreaming that their girlfriends went off with rich men and are happy while they're poor and suffering they're not making their girlfriends suffer and be poor anymore so they're imagining this it's not really happening though on the recording the orchestra is vividly recorded Um, starts with a timpani driven accent that'll make you jump from your seat that's the first thing you hear on the album and it's loud enough too for that the orchestration is brilliant Kaufman and Tezier are brilliant in this fragment as expected and you're just set up for some fantastic singing from this first uh, aria right away. The recording is spectacular, too. Everything comes up aces on this recording. The singing is great. The uh, conducting and pacing. The orchestral sound is great. The recording is great. Uh, just a big win on any uh, on, on all counts if you're into uh, opera. Track two, Amilcare Ponchielli, La Gioconda. Now, La Gioconda is the name of the, um, the Mona Lisa in Italy. They call it La Gioconda. And uh, that's not what this is about. (laughs) This is about a woman whose name, I guess her last name is La Gioconda. Her first name is, what is it? I can't remember. Laura. Laura, if you're American. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The pileup of extreme states of mind in this opera, La Gioconda, is almost absurd, according to the notes. I didn't say that. That's true of a lot of operas, though. Uh, The libretto includes a witch hunt, lynch mob justice, murder by poison, and suspended animation. <laughs> you don't mm-hmm. even see that in movies. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you do. I don't know. I uh, hear the street singer, Barnaba, is stalking. He's a he's a man. He's stalking the heroine, La Gioconda, of the title, who is in love with Prince Enzo, who in turn is in love with Laura. Oh, no, Laura and uh, okay, La Gioconda, two different people. Okay. I don't really know this opera very well. Okay, Barnabo will stoop to any trick he's a bad guy to bend La Gioconda to his will. And his vocal style is accordingly coarse and gruffly declamatory. So you'll hear a lot of that. I, I always think of Tito Gobi, this a singer from long ago, who when he did um, Scarpia in um, Puccini's opera Tosca. He, he has this really nasty sort of tone to him to make the characters sound even more evil. It's, mm. it's a great performance. Anyway, that's sort of the case here too, although he doesn't sound like Tito Gobi there. We get a glimpse into his evil nature in this duet, where he helps Enzo, his enemy, to obtain a rendezvous with La Gioconda, yet leaves no doubt that he would walk over dead bodies to attain his ends. (laughs) Anyway, there's an orchestral intro in this, and the voices come in after a pause, mostly a cappella and sort of recitativo at the beginning. Uh, Barnaba is the baritone and Enzo is the tenor. Uh, The evil character is usually the baritone. Not always, though. Rigoletto is a good example of the opposite of that, where the tenor is the evil guy. Anyway, Barnaba has found Enzo, and Enzo is surprised by what he knows about him and his life. Tezier gets most of uh, the singing time in this aria. He's beautifully legato in his lines and powerfully dramatic. Uh, This especially happens when Enzo asks who Barnaba is, and Barnaba responds, Taboro, which means... I I abhor you. I hate you. <laughs> You're in raw raw emotion in operas. That's why we like them. <laughs> and Explains how he wants Enzo to betray Laura. Kaufman is suitably dramatic too. There are vocal fireworks here, but this really this segment I think really is too short to do it justice. No worries though. We're here for the singing, and it's really great. Okay, the rest of the program is all Giuseppe Verdi. Okay, the first one is uh, Le Vepre Sicilienne. This is the French um, version of Vespri Siciliani, which is Sicilian Vespers. Act 1 duo, Quel est ton nom? Uni mon audace. Temerer. There's different um, sections and the two characters here are Montfort and Henri. Henri is a young Sicilian freedom fighter. He's the tenor, that's uh, Kaufman, and Guy de Montfort is the inscrutably villainous governor of the French occupying forces. Now, if you've seen Star Wars, you have (laughs) already know this story. Montfort turns out to be Henri's father, the evil guy, is freedom fighter Henri's father, just like Darth (laughs) Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Henri is um, freed from captivity in this scene, and Montfort, impressed by his courage and steadfastness, attempts to win him over to the side of the occupiers, the dark side of the force. (laughs)
0: Dark side.
1: The um, aria gets more and more dramatic, growing in intensity, as is Verdi's way, really. He's a great dramatist. Okay, so this is in French, and the vocal power of the scene is palpable. I should also say I'm enjoying Papano's highly idiomatic way of conducting the score. He's right on top of all the sudden changes of mood, as are the vocalists. I like the way the vocalists, especially Kaufman, don't allow themselves to become histrionic along with the material they're singing, but rather let the music speak for itself while providing nudges into the direction of the emotion. In other words, they don't over-sing is what I'm trying to say. Just provide what we need and in just beautiful phrasing, tone, not just beautiful, but powerful, dramatic as well. Both are very heroically masculine in their defiance in this scene, uh, vocally speaking anyway. Track four is another part of Le Vepre Sicilien, and this is where Montfort tells Henri he's Henri's father, like at the end of The Empire Strikes Back. Only this all happens all in the same opera. (laughs) Uh, The music changes often, delicate legato interrupted by surging waves, bearing witness to the deep inner conflicts in the characters. In the end, like Luke Skywalker, Henri rejects his father and curses him in true Italian style. Imagine the music here, very dramatic. And don't imagine it, go listen to it. This is pretty amazing. Kaufman is relatively light in the beginning, wondering why he's being treated so well as he awaits his execution. I should mention that so far, Tezier has been panned to the left, Kaufman to the right. That's the case throughout the entire album. Here we hear Tezier singing with great tenderness in his tone now that he knows Henri as his son. Listen to the second minute and you'll hear that of track four. I also like the worry in Kaufman's voice at three minutes and 30 seconds and his sorrow at five minutes and one second, five minutes, communicated with a thin tone and finally his disgust at five minutes and 57 seconds. Papano picks up the energy during the soliloquies at around six minutes and 30 seconds for a thrilling moment. Music softens as Montfort tries a little tenderness at around the seven minute mark. Yeah, the times aren't exact here. I was kind of I was, I was too engaged with the recording to actually record the exact time. But you'll hear it when it happens. It's around that time. In the end, Henri rejects his father and we get a stirring ending. Uh, this is a pretty complex duet. Lots of emotions. The emotions just, they constantly change. And if you follow and feel all this, um, you're ready for the complexity of real life, I would say. <laughs> anyway, track five. <laughs> Don Carlos, act two, scene and duo, Le Voila, C'est L'Enfant and due to semas dan nos there are two versions of this opera one in french and one in italian both by verdi and um, don carlos uh, the tenor and baritone are allies this is really one of the very few operas where this happens uh, it's one of the greatest male friendships in the entire history of opera uh, rodrigue and carlos are united in the struggle to liberate flanders from the spanish crown and the inquisition in this duet they swear eternal friendship this is track 5 And for their oath of loyalty, Verdi invented one of the most glorious of all of his melodies. This is according to the booklet note. Uh, The parallel handling of the voices, seemingly blended to a unity, represents their own unity. Uh, Papano's conducting is powerful here, and throughout the duet, nothing separates them. By the way, this sort of thing, what the voices are doing, is really important to understand hidden meanings in opera. And there's a situation like this in Christmas music that resolves a a sort of discussion that's been going on for the last 10 years that I will talk about. I think I may have mentioned it in last year's Christmas episode, but um, I'll talk about it uh, again mm. soon. We hear the melody again at the uh, end of the opera as Rodrigo sacrifices himself for his friend. So Rodrigo dies and Don Carlos is, you know, sad. <laughs> anyway, the vow with its fantastic melody comes at uh, the six minute and six second mark. If you want to hear it after Carlos has unburdened his heart at length to Rodrigo, after much coaxing from his friend. Uh, This section has the most fantastic singing in the duet, elevating the previous material to a new level. So at six minutes and six seconds, we're just on a higher level. It's tender, full of the love of two close allies. And we hear an orchestrated version of the theme from about eight minutes and 23 seconds to the end. The next three tracks are all from La Forza del Destino by Giuseppe Verdi. Now, there's a lot of this on here. It, this takes up about 24 minutes of the album, which is uh, the majority of it. And the two of them recorded this together back in around oh, 2013 or so. I don't remember, but it was early in the 2010s, as far as I remember. It could have even been before that. I don't even know. But um, here we get it again here. And uh, they're pretty famous for these two roles. Um, the roles are Alvaro and Carlo. In, this is in Italian, and it's the from the revised Milan version of 1869. Anyway, the situation here is, it's, this is another thing. If you're seeing an opera, you figure out the situation as you go. But if you're listening to an album like this and you don't know the individual operas, you have to figure out what's happening in all, of these, um, in all of these separate arias. <laughs> so You have to know these complicated plot lines and things like that. Anyway, in this case, Alvaro the tenor is in love with Leonora de Vargas, but is forbidden by her father to marry her. Uh, The two try to elope and Alvaro accidentally shoots Leonora's father dead. It's an accident because the gun just goes (laughs) off by itself. He leans it against the wall. It falls and goes off and kills her father. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The baritone, Carlo, is Leonora's brother who seeks to avenge the death of his father. Typical in opera, Alvaro and Carlo, both under assumed names, meet as soldiers in Spain's war against the Italians. Alvaro, believing himself to be mortally wounded, and trusts Carlo with a sealed package with a picture of Leonora in it. Carlo recognizes in Alvaro the murderer of his father, spurns his offer of reconciliation, and resolves to kill both Alvaro and his own sister <laughs> for being responsible for the death of her father. you got to keep the patriarchy going, people. Anyway, complete lunacy, but good operatic stuff. This is what opera is all about. Kaufman and Tetzier <laughs> have been singing these roles on the same stage together since... I wrote 2013. Yeah, I guess that's right. There are three sections of this opera presented. Kaufman is sensitive and sweet-voiced in this scene. Gorgeous singing in this relatively brief scene. The voices match well in the harmony and are both highly sensitive. Really beautiful harmony, perfectly balanced at the end. I mean, how many superlatives am I going to use? This whole album is really fantastic. (laughs) You just have to hear it. (laughs) Anyway, the characterizations are strong. and You can tell both vocalists have lots of experience in these roles. I mean, this is pretty much the peak. I mean, they're so comfortable in these roles and they're really good in them. Mm. Track seven, again, La Forza del Destino. Invano, Alvaro, ti celesti al mondo. You can't hide in the world from me, okay? Uh, here, the two adversaries plunge into a duel. Friendship turns to anger and vengefulness before our ears. It just keeps going south in, in Italian opera. This is pretty com- a pretty complicated scene with Alvaro leaping from anger to a desire not to fight someone who helped him to relief that Leonora is still alive, to love for her, to tenderness in thinking about his future with Leonora, to anxiety and realizing that Carlo will kill her, all while Carlo remains determined to kill both him and his sister. Kaufman is really fantastic here, going through this whole labyrinth of um, different emotions. And they're all sort of extremes against each other too. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, The scene ends with a fury of both characters. Okay, we get to Act 4. Invano Alvaro ti al mondo, again col sangue sul and Leminace le minacce i fieri Okay, later in the opera here, and after five years, Carlo has tracked Alvaro down in a monastery, still determined to kill him. Boy, he really wants this bad. He's like a, he's like the uh, 47. How many Ronin were there? 47, yeah, and they tracked down and killed their enemy like years later. That's kind of, you yeah, know, Carlo is kind of like that. Yeah except that he's driven by this mad passion, whereas the Euronine, we're all very calm. Anyway, Alvaro <laughs> is atoning for his sins in the monastery. He's become, I guess, a um, he's like entered the order at the lowest level or something like that. He's singing tranquilly while Carlo is still bent on revenge. Alvaro is now a priest, and he asks for mercy and forgiveness in a pleading voice. Gorgeously clear trumpets at around 7 minutes and 40 seconds as Alvaro is torn between fighting for his honor and pleading to not let hell triumph, which would be his interest as a priest now. In the end, both begin to fight, and that's where the scene ends. Both singing, A morte andiam. Let's go to death. <laughs> okay, onward to death. Um, for those wondering how this ends, this is, uh, the scene ends here. And we don't get the next scene. But if you're wondering how the opera ends, Alvaro mortally wounds Carlo. So um, the guy who accidentally killed his father now kills Carlo. It turns out that Leonora is in a nearby hermitage, because she's looking for absolution too, and she just happens to choose one that's close by. (laughs) Anyway, and the duel ends near there, near where Leonora's hermitage is. Alvaro goes into the sanctuary that Leonora is in to request extreme unction, which is the last office of the Catholic Church for a dying man, and he recognizes Leonora, who recognizes him. Alvaro tells her what happened, she embraces her dying brother, and he stabs her in the heart. <laughs> this character's really irredeemable, right? He's just such an awful... He's so bent on vengeance, he can't think of anything else. But anyway, he does kill his sister as he's dying at the end. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> the father superior comes out, orders Alvaro to stop cursing fate and humble himself before God. And the dying Leonora joins him in this plea, and Alvaro says he is now redeemed. So Alvaro lives <laughs> at the end. But not with it, not with his love, unfortunately. What a tragedy! Anyway, it's good on the stage, though. Trust me, it's got real it'll tear your heart out. Really great. The final track, track nine, Verdi, Otello, Two Indietro, Fuggi, Ora e per sempre addio. Dio, er la notte, Cassio dorma, eh, Si, sì ciel Marmoreo giuro. This is like a lot of different sections here. Now, Otello and Iago in is one of the great tenor baritone like relationships in opera this is one of the you know these two opposing roles are just famous and these two have never sung this together in opera or in recording each has done it separately though so they've both sung these roles uh in this scene Iago convinces Otello of Desdemona's supposed infidelity and it ends with the revenge duet um with quite a bit of musical violence that's a good name for a band musical violence or maybe an album title (laughs) okay
0: Mm.
1: okay so this um the track starts with some histrionic figures from the orchestra as Otello hysterically sings at the dreadfulness of his suspicion of Desdemona's infidelity. The music eventually becomes a march as Otello bids farewell. And he says, when he says farewell, he says, Adio, which is the very final farewell. You're never going to see this person again if you're saying Adio to them. <laughs> to all of the things he's known. As he thinks he's at the end of his period of his glory. Uh, the subtlety of the orchestra playing, like the scurrying strings as Othello's hysteria builds at the beginning of the second minute, is amazing, and uh, the orchestra eventually explodes into loud but beautifully graded dynamic outbursts of accents. I also like how the rising figures in the orchestra are taken in the fourth minute as Iago places the next elements of his plan before Othello. There's a real conniving quality to the orchestration that comes across well here. Uh, Tezier is cunning, sweet, and seductive as Iago. There's a great recording of this opera, by the way, with Papano conducting, Kaufman in the title role, but the baritone is Carlos Alvarez, who's great. But you know, these two are just fantastic together. Okay, so that's a great recording too. The pacing of the scene is pitch perfect, and you can get a good idea of how important the conductor's contribution is from this track. Of course, the vocalists heighten tension via their voices, but Papano's pacing raises the tension and makes this exhilarating. It just kind of ratchets up instead of just being extreme or something like that. We're left to go back into the world at the end of this recording with Otello and Yago singing in duet. Let fury and terrible violence soon blaze from my raised, outstretched hand, avenging God. Wow. And then the album ends. And I'm left with that. <laughs> Man. Anyway, this is... um. This album is even better than I expected it to be, mostly because of the conducting and the um, the recording quality. Uh, Papano's conducting and the clarity and power he gets from the orchestra raises the performance even higher than these two vocalists would have inevitably brought it um, with someone else. As with uh, the Di Tommaso album, which I didn't talk about on this podcast, this album of duets winds up being sort of fragmentary because you, you're having to keep track of all these operas. If you know them all, you're going to love it but otherwise you got to do a little um, work to understand what's happening. The characterization is so vivid and involving for the listener that I found myself wanting to hear the entire operas. In this case, the two have recorded at least La Forza del Destino together. Um, so that desire can be satisfied in that case, but for some of these arias, this is the only record of these two vocalists together that we have. So we will have to be satisfied with that for now. It's really electrifying singing vividly captured, Opera fans would love this, and it's actually a good way to get into opera, too, I think, because you're not going to hear better voices than this in this generation. But in the in, in the future, we're going to hear Freddy, Freddy Di Tommaso, who's got a great tenor voice, and uh, waiting for that, too.
0: Yeah, I'm not even much of an opera fan as a listener. You know, I can enjoy an opera and a live performance, or I, I want to watch it to generally yeah, I'm the that story too, though, yeah. for me to get into it. I don't really, yeah, I don't listen to much opera music, you know, in excerpts. That said, this is really, <laughs> it's really hard powerful. to not enjoy. Uh, I had a good time because it, the great voices and they run a full range of expressiveness. Sometimes they're very tender. Sometimes yeah. they're really explosive with this dynamic material and there's such a great interaction between these two and the mm. rapport seems really genuine. They're obviously having a lot of fun and that's infectious. And I caught it (laughs) too and was drawn into it. As you said, the recording sounds great and the orchestra is really dynamic. The conducting is spot on. Everything is timed perfectly, you know, to bring out all the tension and highlights so um yeah these two male voices uh the contrasts and then the blends and unison parts in some of the uh pieces together are really enjoyable so
1: it's good fun yeah definitely listen with the libretto if you can so that you know what's going on <laughs> or just imagine that they're both mad at each other that's usually the case except for in don carlos and in lambo <laughs> La boheme they're friends too All right, our last classical album for tonight is Kaleidoscope by the rising star Fatma Saeed, who's a soprano, and a lot more than that, really. She's pretty amazing. This is uh, The accompaniment is uh, Orchestra Philharmonique de Monte Carlo, conducted by Sasha Goetzel. And then there are other musicians on the recording, too, which I'll get to as we talk about the individual tracks. Um, This is on the Warner Classics label. Fatma Saeed is um, Egyptian, as it turns out, She's very young, and she's also mm. stunningly beautiful, I have to say, for myself. Anyway, on this album, it's called Kaleidoscope because it's a montage of many different songs and arias. It's a very interesting program, in fact. Um, the booklet notes are written by Saeed herself, and she says virtually nothing about the music, which made me have to go into the internet and look some stuff up. I really didn't <laughs> know. So This is such an eclectic program. I really had to look some stuff up on it. Yeah, some of, the, some of, these, uh, some of the, these choices could use some unpacking. Um, it's an interesting program. She talks about in the notes her reasons for making this particular album, and there are loads of photos of her in the booklet. She's in the studio. She's with the musicians. She's happy. Um, the design has the pretense of a pop album, but I do think the album cover is very attractive. It's very colorful. It's got this bright color surrounded by black. Mm. Annoyingly, uh, the booklet prints only the sung language of the text – With no translations. Now, a few of the songs are in English, so that was okay. Um, With one exception. Thankfully, the song that's sung in Arabic is translated to English. Because I can't even read that alphabet. I wouldn't know where we were. (laughs) The first track is um, Joaquin Nin is the um, composer. And he's setting a melody here by Jose Bassa. Minuet Cantado. And this is from his 14th Er's Ancien d'Auteur Espanol, Volume 1. This features David Bergmuller on lute, and he also did the arrangement. By the way, Joaquin Nin is the father of Anaïs Nin, the, um, the writer who who is kind of uh, involved with Henry Miller, and she wrote these really famous diaries about her sexual awakening and things like that. Mm-hmm. And she also writes about her father in the diary who does not come across well. Anyway, he comes across well enough in his compositions, let's just say that. This is a lovely recording of the lute, first of all. It's also the only time we're going to hear the lute on this album. The softness of the instrument comes across, yet it's recorded up close. Now, Saeed herself is recorded softly... And her light voice puts across the intimacy of this tune. This song is about a woman, Amaryllis, whose eyes are so beautiful that they shoot arrows themselves, making the singer wonder what the purpose of Cupid's arrows are. Cupid doesn't have to shoot arrows to make me fall in love because Amaryllis' eyes do that already. <laughs> These images are really convoluted. I mean, you think they'd get something. I think they liked that, though, back in the period. We mm-hmm. get into a, the operatic part of the program. Next, uh, Jules Massenet, a gavotte from Obéissant Candelure, Voix Appel. Okay. From Manon, um, Act 3. Here, the orchestra film, De Monte Carlo, conducted by Sasha Goetzel, is conducting, and he conducts all of these tracks, unless I say otherwise. In this song, the character Manon encourages her listeners to enjoy and take advantage of youth and the beauty it brings when love comes, because one day youth is gone. Don't I know it. <laughs> the accompaniment is tastefully subtle, and Said's voice <laughs> is beautifully captured in a soft, diffuse recording. The top notes, thankfully, don't pierce, but ring out comfortably. It's an appealing voice that characterizes well. And As this program goes on, we're going to hear that she has a lot of virtue, versatility. She's really a, a chameleon uh, almost. She can sing in every language idiomatically well, including English. She sounds very like a natural you know, English language singer. Okay, next, André Messager and Paul Lancôme de Stalings. This is a bolero called Il est dans la nuit Espagnol," uh, from the operetta La Fiancée" and Loterie, which I've never heard of. <laughs> anyway, this one uh, is a song with a Spanish tinge to it. It's got castanets in it. Uh, you can't have a Spanish piece in the 19th century that doesn't have castanets to let you know that it's Spanish. The lyrics paint a picture of a city where lovers are safe, but love gets its revenge when a watchman marries one of the women who will cheat on him while he makes his rounds. And it's a cheerful tune otherwise. So I guess they're celebrating this quality. Um, Said captures the feeling well, mm. I would say. Next, Oscar Strauss. We're in operetta now, so we're getting smaller as we started with opera, and we're kind of going to get smaller in kind of, I guess, stature or you know, heaviness to lightness as the program goes. So operetta. This is um, Oscar Strauss after Johann Strauss the uh, second, Vols Jetem quand Meme," sung by Yvette from the opera "Les Trois Valses." This is a French aria. The tune is a waltz and Yvette. The man she's with is flighty, but she loves him anyway. And that's what the song's about. It's a lovely waltz. Said sings this with melting tones. She's got a nice low range as well. Appealingly throaty. And we only hear this momentarily, this uh, low tone of hers. Uh, She's a good fit for operetta in general. I really think this is one of her big strengths. These lighter sort of um, operatic roles or operetta roles. Comic. Uh, judging by what we're hearing here. She'd probably be good in Baroque music too, but we'll save that for another program. This is a pretty light program. Big, grand ending to this tune. And it's sung Forte. Track five, Johann Strauss II. Ich spür es, das Wiener Blut. Sung by Greffin from the opera Wiener Blut, which means Viennese blood. Uh, the lyric praises Viennese blood and says mm. what the city has that is beautiful rests in Viennese blood, like the Viennese people built this city, sort of. It's pretty light on context. It's a waltz, too, as we would expect from Johann Strauss, but here we're hearing Saeed sing German now. Again, she has a good feel for the style and a luscious approach in her phrasing, with the enticing pauses we know from Waltz's impressive high note at the end, too. Next, another operetta composer, Franz Lehar. Mein Lippen sie küssen so heiß uh, from the opera Judita. It's got an Italian name but it's a German opera. Anyway, <laughs> Juditha is apparently a prostitute judging by the line uh, doch wenn das rote licht erglüht zur mitternacht when the red light glows I guess the red light that that's what I'm how I'm interpreting that. Uh she sings of how her lips kiss so hot and generally of how irresistible she is. She's got the blood of a dancer because her mother was a dancer. Uh, this song has a lot of national elements, castanets to evoke Spain, and there's also an Arab modal feel in the second verse. Listen at the four-minute mark for that. The piece is a waltz, a Spanish dance, and an aria all in one. It's more operetta fare, and I'm enjoying Saeed's approach to all of this. She has, taken a, she has a gentle attack and an appealing tim- timbre. There's another impressive, very cleanly taken high note at the end and in the verse before. Okay, we're on track seven now, Jacques Offenbach. A barcarolle, a very famous aria from Belle Nuit au Nuit d'Amour from uh, Le Comte d'Aufmane, probably Offenbach's most famous operetta. This one ha- also features Marianne Crabassa on mezzo-soprano, and she's in the role of Niklausa here. This is It's very famous. It's sung with mezzo-soprano Marianne Crabassa, while Saïd is Giulietta in this one. The soloists plead with the night to smile on their drunken love. The orchestration is lovely, and the orchestra is perfect in this. I'd love to hear this entire ensemble, along with the vocalist perform the entire operetta. I bet it would be great. Charles Gounoud, "Valse Ah, Je veux vivre. I got to say something. This is the eighth track. How many waltzes are we going to hear? <laughs> I think this is going on a little too long, <laughs> although it's it's an excellent album in general. Let me just go. That's just a, a minor quibble. This piece is Ah, Je veux vivre. This is Juliette from the opera Romeo et Juliette. A rather dramatic opening to this, melting vocalese opening by Said as Juliet. She sings, after meeting Romeo, how she wants to live in the dream that is now intoxicating her, also lamenting that the intoxication of youth lasts only a day. This is a quicker waltz and a familiar melody. In this aria, the soloist sing more, sings more of a rhythmic line, sort of a tenuto, with a rest afterward, laying out the rhythm of a heartbeat. It's kind of cool. All right. Now things get a little more interesting. We we have a change of pace. Geronimo Jimenez, Tarantella, La Tarantella e un bicho mu malo from the Zarzuela, La Tempranica. This is a Tarantella rhythm, which is Italian actually, um, because the vocalist sings of being bitten by a spider and the Tarantella was supposed to be this vigorous dance so that you could sweat out <laughs> the spider's poison, uh, which was believed to... Uh, Save people from the spider's bite. Um, I wonder how that works. Anyway, (laughs) there's some quick, there's some enjoyable, quick rhythmic singing in the Spanish style, and appealing work. Okay, now this this is where you really start to realize that this woman has Fatma Said has so much um, this chameleonic quality, her ability to inhabit almost any character, any um, sort of language, any style, Uh, because she does this so well. It's it's got a lot of this the appropriate Spanish passion to it. She's got a great technique, etc. Next, track 10, a familiar one to us, Frederick Lowe. This is arranged by Johnny Green. I could have danced all night from the musical My Fair Lady. It sounds a bit odd in this. It's a quasi-operatic style, but not really. Um, uh, Saeed's pronunciation is excellent given the style she's singing in. Um, some vowels are coming across as operatic vowels, but we're going to hear her later on singing more pop-oriented tunes, and she's going to sound idiomatically American in them. It's pretty amazing. These aren't really Broadway vowels here. She's being careful with the pronunciation and the words come across well. The operatic style takes away some of the warmth of the song, but the voice is so appealing that it really doesn't matter. Okay, we're getting, as I said, the program kind of goes kind of to smaller and smaller forms. And now we're in um, musicals, movies, this sort of thing, popular entertainment of today or of the last century. Friedrich Schroeder, Ich tanze mit dir in den Himmel hinein. From the 1937 German comedy film Sieben Orfeigen. This one features um, the orchestra Philharmonique de Monte Carlo again, with Sascha Goetzel conducting, but also Tim Alhoff on the piano and Henning Sieverts on the double bass. Also Heinrich Koerbeling on drums. So now we're in the realm of film music, and this is one of those smoldering German tunes from the 1930s. You can think of the uh, Kurt Weill and uh, Bertolt Brecht songs. When the vocalist dances with her partner, she feels she can fly, and she is dancing in the sky, according to the lyrics. Um, that's pretty much the extent of the lyrics, in fact. The song has a bit of a cabaret style to it. Again, lovely voice and phrasing. I'm noticing that Saeed doesn't change her tone much. Um, we always hear her familiar, beautiful tone, but she can inhabit all of these different sort of styles excellently. Next, Irving Berlin, Cheek to Cheek, from the 1930. 1930- 5 is that musical screwball comedy film Top Hat, Tim Alhoff on the piano, and he did the arrangement too, Henning Sievert's double bass, Heinrich Kerberling on drums, Lucien Renaudon Vary on the trumpet. This is a jazz tune, pretty much, and it starts with a count. The English singing is very impressive. She's pretty close to a nightclub Broadway-type jazz singer in approach here. It actually sounds fun. The pronunciation is flawless, which really amazed me. Um, Lucien Renaudon Vary gets a nice solo on the trumpet, very stylish. At this point, I'm hearing the repetitiveness in Saeed's approach, but I'm just enjoying her whole her ability to kind of get into all of these styles. All the verses sound exactly the same in phrasing and timbre here, though. So I think, like it, I guess I'm getting used to because we're doing this podcast. I'm getting used to jazz singers like varying each verse. You know, they're kind of doing something different, and mm. she doesn't do that here. This kind of let me down a bit. Not in anything with vocal timbre though, just the repetitive phrasing. Track thirteen, Kurt Weil, Ucali, A Tango Habanera from the nineteen thirty-four musical Marie Galante. This features members of the Quintetto Angel, which who are Bernard von der Babelins on violin, Samuel Lutzger, cello, Rodolfo Pacapello, Double Bass, Christian Gerber, bandoneon, Frank Schulter, piano and Tim Alhoff piano, Heinrich Kerberling drums. And the quinteto Angel, whose I didn't mention their names. Anyway, Ucali is an island the singer is singing about, the country of our desires. The opening has a seductive vocal line, which changes to a tango for the chorus. In the final verse, we finally get a timbre change in the voice, a kind of contemptuous sneering tone, as the singers sing that the poor human soul seeks oblivion. We get back to the sweeter tone for the end of the tune. Track 14, Carlos Gardel, the tango king, Por Una Cabeza, from the 1935 film Tango Bar. This is played by, accompanied by Quinteto Angel, Bernhard von der Bebelin's violin, Samuel Luzker Cello, Rodolfo Pacapelo double bass, and Christian Gerber bandoneon. Cordell was Argentina's Tango King, and this is a very traditional type of tango. The lyrics seemed, I couldn't really work out what the lyrics are I was using my Google Translate for this but it's not always helpful. <laughs> uh, the lyrics seem to be about longing to kiss a lover again. Uh, said is fairly idiomatic in this. She's got some of the sadness these songs are sung with, and it's a theatrical sadness. But I was impressed by this because we've heard enough, um, for example, Piazzolla, and we'll hear him later, where the the soloist doesn't get the idiom. But it seems, sounds like Said does, and I'm pretty amazed. Track 15, Angel Viloldo, And I Saab, I hope I said that, Something, <laughs> correctly, is that's Arabic, and I don't know much about Arabic. <laughs> El Choclo in Spanish. This is based on El Choclo. This is performed by Quinteto Argel, who are Bernhard von der Babelenz violin, Samuel Lutzker cello, Rodolfo Pacapeo double bass, and Christian Gerber bandoneon. It's a Spanish song that was given Arabic words by Tamar Hussein and sung in Arabic here, which is Um Said's um, native language. Um, the English translation in the book was made by Saeed herself. Uh, we're not going to hear this from many sopranos, so make sure you relish this. The piece has a tango rhythm, yet we're hearing Arabic words. Said, of course, being a native speaker, makes this work. It's actually interesting to listen to these words in this context. The lyric is basically the soloist stating that she's up to any challenge in this life. It's an encouraging text. Happiness starts with determination. Track 16, Astor Piazzolla. Yo Soy Maria from the tango opera Maria de Buenos Aires, which I'm going to have to hear eventually, I guess. I've never heard it. This features quinteto Angel and also Heinrich Kerbeling and Philip Kraus on percussion. From the text, I'd guess this is Maria's entrance aria. Um, she's basically introducing herself, singing about her confidence, so this follows on well from the previous piece, and how she has skills in singing and loving. There's a big change in the sound here with the percussion richly recorded. Said is louder and closer in this track. There's some variation of timbre in her voice as she goes to her held higher notes. It sounds very idiomatic. And I feel like Said, this is the other highlight of the program since from the after cheek to cheek until the end. Um, Said really feels comfortable and like she's in a place that she really likes to be in these songs. Um, she picks up the tango style well here and could make a success of this role in the full opera. Very impressive. I feel like this is the most dynamic, fully realized performance she gives on the album so far. Track 17, Astra Piazzolla, "Jubli," which is Oblivion, or I forget, from the 1984 Italian drama Enrico IV. This features Tim Alhoff on piano, Henning Sieverts on double bass, Heinrich Kerbeling on drums, uh, Ragid Williams on the ney, which is a, an Arab instrument, and Christian Gerber on bandoneon. That's a really interesting combination of instruments. This is a vivid-sounding, richly (laughs) recorded uh, song, while Saeed sings the weary, heavy melody with lyrics about a lover parting and saying her love feels heavy now as she forgets. Saeed is idiomatic here, too. I'd say this part of the program shows her at her best, along with the earlier operetta arias, as I mentioned. Track 18, Serge Gainsbourg. Now we're in pop music. La Havanaise. This has Tim Alhoff on piano and uh, arrangement. Henning Sieverts, double bass, Heinrich Kerberling, drums, Christian Gerber, Bandonion, the Vision string quartet here. The members are Florian Willeitner, Daniel Stoll on the violins, Sander Stewart, viola, and Leonard Disenhorst, Disselhorst on the cello. Gainsbourg wrote this song for Juliette Greco and ended up recording it himself as well. The title is a pun playing on the Parisian Java dancing, which is a type of waltz invented in Paris in the early 20th century. And you can see films of it on the internet. Men put their hands on their partner's butts while they're dancing. And the Havanaise style of speaking, which is kind of like pig Latin in English, um, you put in av after every consonant. So bonjour would become uh, bavonjavour. Okay. So you put an av after every consonant. <laughs> Paris would be uh, pavaravis. Okay. If you did this. This song doesn't use the Javanese slang, but there are a lot of French words with AV sounds in it to entertain the ear. It's a romantic light waltz type of song, and Said sings it tenderly like a cabaret singer, almost sounding like Edith Piaf in phrasing. She uses a light, sensuous tone for this and pulls this off well. Track 19, Gino Paoli, Italian songwriter, senza fine, without ending. Tim Allhoff on the piano, and he did the arrangement too. Henning Sieverts, double bass. Heinrich Kerbeling on drums, Christian Gerber on the bandoneon, and Heinrich Kerbeling drums Vision String Quartet as well. As with Gainsborg, Pauli wrote this inspired by his collaboration partner Ornella Vanoni. She recorded it first in 1961, and Pauli also recorded it. And Connie Francis sang it in 1966. Yeah, it's a romantic tune. Hmm whose works say you're a moment without end and go saying that the person they're singing to is a moment without end and goes on to describe how this person is everything to me, to the singer. I like the light feeling the bandoneon gives mm. this track. In fact, I really like the arrangements for this small ensemble. This is the best part of the album, I think. Said is able to sing in a lighter voice, more appropriate for this style. I'd have preferred I could have danced all night in this style, but that was her choice. This track fades like a pop song which drove me crazy. <laughs> anyway, track 20. We're at the end. George Robert Merrill and Shannon Rubicam. I want to dance with somebody who loves me. You might recognize this as the Whitney Houston song um, from 1987, the album Whitney. Tim Alhoff is playing the piano and he made the arrangement and the Vision String Quartet is on this. The piano introduces the material. Said is sultry here. She's not trying to imitate Whitney Houston, <laughs> but uh, she she just... she. She does her own sort of take on it. And again, sings in excellent idiomatic English here. She sings in this one very close to the microphone in a soft, confiding voice, sort of like she's a crooner, like from the 1940s. She picks up volume towards the end and is actually soulful in her high notes toward the end. The song ends with a soft voice. Okay, so Said has a lovely voice. And by the end, one feels amazed at all of the transformation she has made throughout the program. It's almost like a magic act. While the vocal timbre remains relatively constant, but not at the end. She starts to stretch out a bit there. The variety of styles and characters is amazing. It seems like she can inhabit very diverse roles. Uh, the voice itself is appealing and firm in all of its range. Uh, said is at her best in the operetta arias, as I said, which she's trained for and the sultry works at the end of the program from track 14 onwards. I also enjoyed those arrangements of musicians the most, the ones at the end. While I would have liked to have heard some more expression in the timbre, she relies mostly on her beautiful smooth tone, um, though at the end of the program we hear a lot of variety. The voice itself is so appealing that I had no problem enjoying this program. It's also very varied, so you really don't know what's coming next. Um, By the end, I had to drop my critical guard and just admit that this is a really good album, and I'm nitpicking with any criticism. Absolutely hear it if the program appeals. This is certainly a soprano to keep one's ears out for. Very interesting, able to do a lot of things. Wondering what she's going to do in her, um, you know, as as her professional career goes on.
0: The thing that struck me most about this is the versatility. Um, It's kind of, by the end you think, and she also sings opera. (laughs) Because uh, she's doing a lot more than I think any other opera. Kind of uh, opera singer uh, is kind of you know, well. Put opera singers, singers will try with. some of this and they'll be rather unsuccessful yeah. at it, especially in pop tunes. But she's really good in those. Yeah, I generally like her voice uh, for a soprano. She's not overpowering or piercing, and mm-hmm. I find the best quality in her voice is when she is in the higher register. That's yeah, when her voice really sort of uh, rings out. Mm. I do find kind of a thinning of her voice when she gets into the lower range, maybe more of that alto range. She doesn't have quite the presence.
1: Yeah, it's it's not a big heroic voice. It's kind of a smaller yeah. operatic voice.
0: And so that takes away some of the strength when she's on more of the poppy kind of uh, numbers where her voice doesn't uh, ring out. So it's mm. a slight weakness I, I find with that. However, one great thing that I find in her singing is she has a really good sense of rhythm uh, yeah. for all these different fields, which I think you know most singers of any genre, not just an opera singer or something, are not going to have. And she yeah. does mention in the program notes that she studies dance mm. and various styles of dance. And going back to what you know you were discussing, uh, in uh, previous episodes, you know, every singer should take dance lessons right. so that and they she does, know yeah. how to phrase. How and she that? does that well. I was convinced with her. Uh, Here's rhythmic, my proof. <laughs> her, uh, you know, the Piazzolla numbers and the other Latin numbers. She has a good Latin feel and she swings really well, too, mm. on the swing number. So I was really impressed with uh, her sense of feel and phrasing uh, across these genres. And the only number I thought that let me down was just the uh, last one I want to dance with somebody, Mm -hmm. Uh, just because what I thought carried that as a snappy pop number was the tempo with the kind of really, you know, snappy rhythms in it. And when you slow Mm -hmm. it down in the arrangement, no fault of hers, it just loses some of that kind of uh, zest that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the original version had, but she puts her own twist on it uh, at the end there, especially. So, yeah, it uh, takes you through a lot of changes of material and styles. Uh, Quite adventurous program here.
1: No, that was a lot of talking. I'm going to drink about uh, two liters of water now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll come back and comment at some point (laughs) when I get my voice back.
0: (laughs) All right, we're going to go into the jazz portion of the program, and it's an interesting one this evening. It's all ladies' voices and all very young Uh, ladies at that but there's some really nice uh, material here and actually that's one of the highlights is actually what they're singing Mm. that becomes uh, a lesson at least for me uh, in going through here to uh, brush up on some history here Uh, so well we're going to start out We're going to go in release time order and this one I wanted to talk about for a while Uh, goes back to September now and that's the sophomore release here from the big phenomenon in jazz vocals recently. That's Samara Joy. And uh, we talked about her debut album last year. Right. And uh, this is her new one, Linger a While. And now she's on the Verve label. Yeah, and good for her. her debut we discussed in episode uh, 23. Uh, that was just called Samara Joy. That's episode that we did is called uh, it's one of our long titles Something Old, Something New Clarinet and Piano, Jazz Vocals 2 yeah. I'm glad we stopped that <laughs> How embarrassing Yeah, <laughs> We've come a long way Anyway, if I remember correctly uh, She came relatively late to jazz music I mean, like she was 17 or so Before she got into, you know, mm. uh, liking jazz music And it didn't take her long uh, to become very good at that And Two thousand nineteen she won the Sarah Vaughan International Jazz Vocal Competition and she had her debut at twenty one last year and now she's uh, getting old at twenty two <laughs> with wow. this new. I think release. I was
1: confusing um Fat with her, I think. Oh okay.
0: And, <laughs> she sounds very adult, and, uh Samara Joy does. Yeah. And well yeah. she's definitely matured uh, from the performing and touring she's done in the last year, and that shows through these recordings. Now, she started with the Great American Songbook tunes on that recording last year, which also made our uh, Best of 2021 list, uh, by the way. Yeah, we really like the voice, too. And, well, that was produced by uh, Grammy-nominated Matt Pearson, and I don't know who produces this new recording, because I can't find those full credits. But I do have to say that the production here is very interesting in the selection of material, uh, because I actually have the c- oh, do you have, have the CD? I can tell you who did. Let me see yeah, it if you could. That would be interesting, because the selection of material uh, is also very interesting. Okay, produced by Matt Pearson. Oh, same same person. Great. Same guy. Okay. So he's done a a very interesting selection of uh, familiar and digging a bit deeper into uh, the archives of songs, and uh, it all comes off really well. So, rounding out the ensemble here, another familiar name uh, from last year's recording, Pasquale Grasso. The Italian Phenomenon guitar, Uh, we've talked about his solo releases, and uh, you've got to, if you haven't seen him play, it's quite a visual thing because he has fingers like spiders, which (laughs) just (laughs) go over the fretboard at amazing speed. Now, if we had one criticism of that recording last year was he played too much. Well, on one track he played too much. Anyway, well, the, in general, when he, when he I thought was solo with
1: her. Yeah. I thought
0: he was just uh, a bit too mm-hmm. busy, uh, but he's not at all on this album. It's yeah, um, he's changed too. It's really amazing. Yeah, it's yeah. it's cha- he's changed and his uh, more subtle accompanist here, and this album has a little bit more variety, uh, mixing up between uh, guitar and uh, piano accompaniment. On piano, we've got Ben Patterson, on drums Kenny Washington. On bass, uh, David Wong, who we're going to hear on the next recording too, Mm. just uh, by chance. And then on one tune, we've got a horn arrangement on "Round Midnight, and that's going to be Kendrick McAllister on tenor sax, Donovan Austin on trombone, and Terrell Stafford on trumpet and flugelhorn. So let's get into uh, this interesting uh, selection of music here. We've got a great uh, Jimmy McHugh. Uh, one of my favorite composers, and uh, the lyrics by Frank Lesser. uh, Can't get out of this mood. Now this one goes back to, let's see, first recorded in 1942 by Johnny Long and his orchestra, and Sarah Vaughn recorded in 1950. Uh, So it's a nice suitable pick for uh, Samara Joy being the winner of the Sarah vocal competition. Uh, This one begins with a fun chimey intro by Patterson on piano. Uh, It's got a relaxed stop time with a nice brushwork on the snare from Washington. The second time around, uh, to give it more of a swing push. Joy sounds really warm and confident in her phrasing here, pushing the lyrics to a nice climax before a a tasteful piano solo from Patterson. Uh, She adds a little more embellishment uh, when she returns for the final verse with a nice sliding up in the pitch on the playing it dumb lyric in here and a vocalization for the final hold uh, all very tasteful, uh, a nice opening number. The next tune, Guess Who I Saw Today? This is uh, by Elise Boyd and Murray Grand. It's kind of a narrative jazz song. It's from the musical New Faces from 1952. It was first sung in that same year by June Carroll. Again, a tasty piano intro from Patterson. Uh, Joy comes in with the verse in a rubato fashion over just the piano. Then uh, bass drums and Grasso's guitar join in gently on the chorus uh, with a slow ballad tempo. Uh, this tune is a great vehicle for her to show off her enunciation, you know, matching the sort of pronunciation and telling of the story with the lyrics and the rhythm. Uh, I feel she's matured in that way a lot. She draws you into the story of the song with a little vibrato and spots on the next chorus. She takes it higher, little slides in pitch on the guess who I saw lyric. And then the rubato climax on this one is really beautiful. Uh, she covers a full range of vocal from down low uh, to a really delicate final you on the, I saw you. That's who she saw today. Hmm. Uh, so it's a, a really nice uh, narrative tune uh, brings out a lot of good qualities of her voice. Now, interestingly, here we've got Nostalgia The Day I Knew, and this is uh, a tune by Fats Navarro, one of the kind of pioneers who didn't live very long of bebop trumpet. Kind of you come at the same time a little earlier than uh, Clifford Brown and had an influence on him. and as far as I knew, this was an instrumental tune, and it says here, it also credits Samura Joy McLendon, which I guess is her family name. So apparently she wrote the lyrics for this, uh, unless you can see on the CD, uh, if there's anything No, that's, uh, that's what, what I've like.
1: got. I think she, um, I'll check, but I think she's the... Uh, uh, so yeah, this comes from the, the
0: album of the same name, Nostalgia by Fats Navarro Quintet in 1947. And uh, interestingly, the pianist on that recording was Tad Dameron, who we're going to hear a lot of music from in the next <laughs> recording. Uh, it's a little um, preview to that. So Grosso leads in on this tune. Uh, bass and drums join in. Uh, there's no piano on this one. It's off to a relaxed chugging tempo. Uh, Joy has a good bouncy swing in the lyrics here. Uh, it seems uh, natural for her seeing them and if she did write them. Uh, that's very interesting. Uh, Grasso adds fills between the phrases, staying a lot more subtle than on the last time uh, we heard him as an accompanist. The melody takes her over a wide range of pitch, since it was originally an instrumental tune, and she inserts playful little turns in phrases, that little out kind of, uh, you know, bebop phrase you'll hear in instrumental lines. Uh, she does that really well. Uh, a nice final line uh, with good vibrato here too. Uh, so a nice choice. And we've got track four, "Sweet Pumpkin." Uh, this is a tune we hear a lot uh, instrumentally by uh, Ronel Bright, uh, a jazz pianist who passed away last year. And I think he uh, showed up in a lot of TV shows uh, from the '70s. This was first recorded by Bill Henderson in 1959. Grasso takes this one in with a slow rhythmic opening. Bass and drums join in with nice bouncy bass, swinging rhythm, and uh, piano's out on this one too. Uh, it picks up with a heavier swing drive on the bridge. Joy whips it up into the second verse, keeps the playful rising pitches going, really singing it out to a climax. Grasso gets a nice uh, fluid solo here, and then uh, Joy comes back in on the bridge, singing it out rhythmically, finishes it off with some really neat pitch play ideas. Now we're gonna go for uh, real standard classic that everyone will know, uh, Errol Garner's Misty, first recorded by the Errol Garner Trio in 1954. Ella Fitzgerald did it in uh, 1960. There's hundreds and hundreds of recordings of this. As yeah, everyone there knows sure, certainly are. Uh, Grasso sits out on this one, a rolling Misty piano chord, a rising ooh from Joy, and then a lilting start from her as well. She shows lovely, delicate phrasing on this one, Very dynamics, pitch sensitivity on the melody. Takes a few more liberties with pitches and phrasing uh, the next time around, the melody. But she has really great taste for a young singer. She never overdoes it. She errs on the side of restraint here and on all the tunes. A fine ending on this one too, starting down low, creating some anticipation with a pause and then a great rising and meandering line to the last note, a really classy version. Track six, Social Call. It's a tune by Gigi Grice, later known as Bashir Qasim, after his, Hmm. uh, I guess, conversion to Islam. And uh, lyrics by John Hendricks. This was first recorded and released by the Art Farmer Quintet featuring Gigi Grice, uh, May 26, 1955. And you can find uh, vocal versions of this by the great Betty Carter, Diane Reeves, uh, also Jasmine Horn, Uh, recorded this one uh, recently. So Grasso is coming back in on this tune. The drums kick it in. The verse starts right away on an easy swing. There's fun rhythmic change-ups, syncopated hits along the way, and Joyce surfs all these little changes really nicely, building it up as she goes along. Patterson has a tasty piano solo, uh, and Grasso has uh, one as well. It's a nice uh, balance of easy swinging licks and speedy lines. Some fun double-time stops as well. Nice guitar playing. Then Joy comes back for another round of the melody, uh, brings it down before building it up to a satisfying ending. We're going to go uh, way back in time. I'm confessing, in parentheses, that I love you, uh, tuned by Doc Doherty and Ellis Reynolds. Now, the song was first produced with a different set of lyrics and known as Looking for Another Sweetie. That was uh, by Chris Smith and Sterling Grant. And then it was recorded by uh, Fats Waller and his babies in 1929. Wow. But then came back out in 1930, reborn as Confessin' with new lyrics by Al Naberg. And this time the music was credited to Doc Doherty and Ellis Reynolds, and a uh, famous version by Ella Fitzgerald in 1944. Uh, this one's got a guitar trio guitar, bass, drums, uh, bass for the beginning. Grasso gives a soft intro of arpeggios, chords, and tasty phrases, and Joy comes in handling it delicately. It's slow, it gives her space for little nuances of a vibrato and dynamics. Patterson joins in on a solo piano fill, and the tune takes on some more weight and a sense of bluesiness. Joy brings that out uh, with some more adventurous phrases and pitch choices as it goes along, and there's a great little vocal cadenza to finish it off. Then we're going to get Linger a While track eight by Harry Owens and Vincent Rose. This was recorded by Bailey's Lucky Seven in January 1924. Chord hits and drum fills get it off to an exciting start, and the tempo is ripping with fast backing lines from Grasso and a furious walking bass from Wong. Joyce sings it out with confidence, Grasso gets a blazing solo, Joy comes back for another final round and gets to push it up in the higher register before it ends with more fast and furious fills on drums from Washington. It's all over at a speedy minute and 47 seconds, but a lot of fun. We're going to change the pace up a bit here with Round Midnight, the old Thelonious Monk tune, the lyrics uh, credited to Bernard Hannigan. Uh, Cootie Williams also uh, gets a composition credit, uh, the great trumpet player and it was first released by Cootie Williams and his orchestra in 1944. Grosso sits out on this one, but we're going to get some horns in here with uh, Kendrick McAllister tenor sax, Donovan Austin trombone, and Terrell Stafford, trumpet and flugelhorn. It's got a warm horn arrangement on a rubato and dynamic intro. This melody has big intervals and a wide range of pitch, but Joy handles them all smoothly with very nice phrasing as well over the tumbling rhythmic lines. Uh, The backing horn lines have soft fluffy stop time sections in a really cool arrangement, uh, but it never gets in the way of the vocals. Uh, Stafford also gets some answering phrases on trumpet into his own trumpet solo. He keeps it restrained, rather rhythmic. There's a pause before the final verse, which is more delicate, and all the horns sit out before rejoining with a more rhythmic push over clicky drummy from Washington, they pause and reset it once again for a rubato final ending from joy to a great clear final high note. A really stellar arrangement, bringing out the best qualities in the tune. We're going to end the recording with another tune that everyone knows, George and Ira Gershwin's Someone to Watch Over Me. First recorded and released by Gertrude Lawrence, 1926. Other famous jazz singers have done it, of course, Ella Fitzgerald, 1951, Sarah Vaughan, 1957. Interestingly, this was written by the Gershwins uh, for the musical OK as a fast and jazzy (laughs) (laughs) uptempo rhythm Hmm. tune. But in the 30s and 40s, it got recorded by singers as a more slowed ballad style, and that became the way people just do it. So that's how we usually hear it these days. Uh, there's been more than 1,800 recordings of this song. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'd like to hear someone do it in the original, like Gershwin's version. I'm kind of curious to
0: hear what yeah, it would sound like. It'd be interesting. You know? Anyway, this is just a uh, guitar and voice duo to end it, bringing Grosso and Joy together. So it makes it really intimate. A rhythmic chiming interval intro from Grosso to start it. Uh, Joy joins him for the rubato intro and verse. It's wonderfully lazy. A pause and then a steadier tempo for the famous chorus, but it breathes and they stretch it out as Joy phrases it nicely and delicately. Grasso is very subtle and tasty with his chords and fills, and Joy gives it a lifting ending with just enough final push. There you have it, a really nice collection with the same producer here, I think probably helping to choose this material. Uh, that really highlights uh, different aspects of her voice, creates different moods, gives us some of these familiar jazz standards, but also digs deeper historically into songs uh, we may not have heard or have forgotten about. Nice varied instrumentation with uh, Grasso's guitar and piano taking different roles, and we get that nice horn arrangement on around midnight. You can hear her voice has matured a lot in just a year, with uh, more experience singing and touring, uh, bringing out more subtle qualities. Uh, she's able to vary her voice on different verses. Uh, she adds a little more ornamentation and pitch variations. But as I said, she's very restrained, enjoyably subtle, uh, wonderfully a uh, warm and rounded quality to her voice. And she sings with the natural ease. One of the singers I really like listening to, and I'm picky about singers. And I think she's just only going to develop even more from here. Yeah, and
1: that's the thing. I was thinking, you know, she could really be one of the uh, great uh, jazz singers of her generation, you know, yeah, it, sure. especially if she keeps um, moving forward like this. Uh, I thought her voice matured a lot on this album from the previous one. It was only like a year or two.
0: Just a year, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, Pasquale Grasso too. I want to say on, um, someone to watch over me, he's, um, the only, her only accompaniment. And this yeah. is like a light years away from what we heard last year, where I felt like he really overplayed here. Mm. He's subtle and quiet. And then she quiets down too, so that you can hear him as well. I just thought that was really beautiful. Yeah. It's such a great, um, very intimate, um, yeah, into, it was a great uh, partnership there. I'm kinda wondering if people didn't hear our, you know, comments from last year and get back <laughs> to them, or maybe they heard them themselves. You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Somebody's manager said, Hey, you gotta <laughs> play less. I mean, yeah. Pasquale Grasso does play less and he sounds like a great accompanist, accompanist yeah. now on this album, while also having that virtuosic ability too that we've heard on his solo albums. Yeah. Yeah, she has a really enjoyable tone. I could listen to her for a long time. Yeah, you know, this was an easy record to to sit through. On this record we didn't mention Ben Patterson enough I think. He's his piano playing was really great all the way through. Very tasty. And I thought he was perfect for her style. He's kind of laid back, he's got a good feeling, you know, to himself and the the, the record itself is pretty laid back and the recording mm-hmm. was great. The
0: balance favored the singer thankfully. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so um yeah, really enjoyable.
0: I'd say mm-hmm. definitely hear it. Yeah. If you haven't heard it yet, definitely hear it. Uh one of the up and coming promising vocalists uh, for this next generation of jazz Somato Joy now the next recording uh, is not really a vocal album just happens to uh, feature another extremely young vocalist extremely young in this case Yeah. but uh, it's really a uh, well an exploration of uh, someone whose music just doesn't get uh, explored enough but we're going to explore it here and find out about some others who have that's uh, the great arranger composer Tad Dameron And uh, this is sort of a tribute to his tunes. Tad's All Folks, (laughs) as in uh, that's all folks, but Tad's All Folks from uh, Gary Smoylan, a great uh, baritone sax player. And this is on Steeplechase label. And so it's going to explore Tad Dameron's music and do that with the assistance of 18 year old. Maybe she was even still 17 when this was recorded at the end of last year. Uh, Anais Reno, young superstar of vocals, but more on her in a moment. Who's Tad Dameron? If you don't know, Uh, I think jazz musicians and jazz listeners will know Tad Dameron. He's sort of the definitive arranger, composer of the bebop era. We know a lot of his uh, kind of standard tunes like uh, Our Delight, Hot House, Lady Bird, and what I think is his greatest sort of vocal one, uh, If You Could See Me Now. It's just a, a wonderful tune. He wrote melodies, but also full arrangements. But he worked with so many great uh, musicians and bands starting in the swing era and then up through bebop. And he's working with making charts for Jimmy Lunsford, Count Basie, uh, Billy Eckstein, uh, whose version of, if you can see me now, I remember hearing when I was uh, you know a teenager, Dizzy Gillespie, Sarah Vaughan, just uh, so many names, As we mentioned, uh, he was in that sextet with Fats Navarro, later Miles Davis, uh, Artie Shaw, Clifford Brown, (laughs) Sonny Hmm. Stitt, uh, Milt Jackson, Benny Goodman, just uh, wrote all these tunes. And apparently there's lots of his tunes that were never recorded and still laying around because uh, this album uh, claims to have three that uh, have never been recorded before. And so I... I got a little obsessed and started digging to see if I could find which ones they were. And luckily, there seems to be a new trend to uh, rediscover his music. So I'll, I'll mention a few of those other uh, recent recordings here.
1: Did you figure out which three weren't recorded I before? Think,
0: I think I know. Think so? Uh, okay. I'm not sure. Uh, you gotta, it's kind of tough searching for these, um, but um, it's interesting. Anyway, on Barry Sexo, as we said, uh, the leader here, Gary uh, Smolian, and uh, we talked about him back, way back on episode five, Tough Baritones, uh, right. with Ronnie Cooper, our, who recently passed away. Uh, that was sad news. But uh, at least we've still got, uh, Gary's still making uh, wonderful Barry Sachs music. Also on this recording, David Wong, who we heard on the last recording too, uh, but he gets a few more uh, solo spots uh, here. Drums, Matt Wilson, piano. Another fine piano performance on this recording. I thought Uh, so too, yeah. Malin Verney, really nice piano playing here. As I said, the young vocalist, I think that's how you say her name, Anais? Anais, yeah. Anais. Or Anais, it could be Anais in her case. She started uh, as a singer at age eight and she won the 2016 Forte International Competition's Platinum Award at Carnegie Hall. What is it? Uh, Michael Feinstein's Great American Songbook Academy competition in the summer of 2018 at the age of 14, the youngest contestant ever. And mm-hmm. she had a debut album of her own already, uh, celebrating mm-hmm. the music of Billy Strayhorn and Duke Ellington titled Lovesome Thing. A nice Reno sings Ellington and Strayhorn uh, with the Emmett Cohen Trio in 2020. She must have been like 16 then. Yeah, it's crazy. God she's saying america the beautiful at the yankees mets 911 uh, 20th anniversary game you can see that on youtube hmm. uh, and so she's got a a very young and pure toned voice uh, there's not a lot of variation in in her tone But it's a kind of a big challenge to sing some of these songs because there's no precedent for them. right? Which kind of makes it interesting, a fresh voice for some fresh tunes. Yeah, I think you want to keep that in mind
1: when you're listening too, that there's no precedent for a lot of these songs. You have this 17, 18 year old
0: singer like approaching them. Yeah, (laughs) but what's really great is Tad Dameron's songs, it's like they sound instantly familiar because the melodies Mm. have great hooks and the chord changes are wonderful and just wonder uh how some of these didn't become standards because a lot of them are better than like some of the famous tunes uh i guess that's just the way history goes anyway here's one that's uh, pretty well known whatever possessed me we're going to start out with the lyrics here are by bernie hannigan and the first uh, release on this was actually by chet baker in 1964 but you can find a lot of other recordings of it it's an aaba form tune reno sings the verse with a gentle bounce and swells helped by uh, malin verney's rhythmic piano smiling takes a solo next he's melodic and full-throated he's got that really fat tone on the berry Mau and Veronique gets a nice uh, piano solo, really good touch, clear unhurried right hand figures, some rhythmic fun with both hands. Wong takes a bass solo here, big mellow sound. Reno returns on the B section uh, after that bass solo, and I really like how she varies the pitches, taking a little bit more liberty there, adding more tension than when we heard it the first time. They finish up on the A section of the melody, the little slowdown to nice brush hits on the toms from Wilson and some final very uh, thoughts from Smilin' on, uh, to finish it out. Then we're going to get This Night of Stars with lyrics by Carl Sigmund. I can't find another recording of this, so maybe so this is this one is of the three one. that's never been done. It begins with a rhythmic four-bar intro in 6-8. Tasty piano work from Mel and Verney. Reno sings the short 16-bar melody, urging the sharing of This Night of Stars. Uh, and then we get into just some fun extended interplay between wong and Verney, locked together on syncopated hits uh, for wilson to fill with tasty drumming Uh, smilin joins for a swinging solo over the top of this tricky rhythm uh, they bring back the six-eight swing for uh, Mo and Verney piano solo, and then Reno takes it through the melody once again with a few final phrase repeats to finish it up. So it's a really rather short song form, <laughs> just this kind of sixteen-bar thing. And so maybe that's why it wasn't developed into you know something more. But what they do here is have a lot of fun with it, with that uh, extended rhythmic kind of play, and uh, it works in, into uh, this context really well. Track three is Weekend, with lyrics by Irving Reed, who actually seems to be a really nice lyricist. He often collaborated with uh, Dameron. Uh, There's a recording I found, uh, 2019, Vanessa Rubin, The Dream Is You. Uh, It's called It's All uh, Dameron Songs, but that's the only other recording I could find of it. It Gets a kind of light Latin beat on this 16-bar intro, nice bass pulses from Wong and a clicky beat from Wilson. The melody seems to be uh, like a 36-bar structure, features intriguing changes back and forth to minor. Reno builds it to nice climaxes and phrases, adding good little hesitations here. The lyrics are about a short-lived romance that burned bright just for a weekend in December in Maine. (laughs) So uh, kind of a creative story to add. Here's my song, what's it about? Oh, a weekend in Maine
1: yeah nice i just want to say about maine my in college my band went up to maine to play a gig there on like a weeknight (laughs) like and seven people showed up and one kid came he had a gerbil and people were more interested in the gerbil than they were in us so (laughs) it was one of those it's my memory of maine maine (laughs) uh anyway (laughs) in the van the the
0: this tune is kind of appealing with that uh, uh switch up major to minor. Uh, Wong gets a bass solo first. Fine rhythmic phrases over the interesting clicks of Wilson. Malin Verney follows another playful and rhythmic solo. And then uh, Smilin' sounds really smooth here, but with good accents and a little bit more cymbal push behind from Wilson on that solo section. And Reno returns for another run through the verse. Take it through a little vamp at the end uh, with long tones on the berry for a soft ending uh, down to just the trio. Track four, Lovely One in the Window. And uh, I really liked this song, but I can't find mm. another version of it. And it just says Tad Dameron, I guess he wrote the lyrics too. Mel and Vernie starts it with a rubato hesitating piano intro, and Reno joins in with the uh, intro lyrics. And it's just the two of them uh, keeping the rubato feel. Uh, bass and drums join in for the main tune, which is a 32 bar form AABA. Uh, structure. I think this is really compelling. It's got a lovely melody. The lyrics are about pining for someone seen through your window and hoping they'll notice you. And Reno does this really nicely. I think you need a a youthful voice to sing something uh, like this. She holds out the sea in this lonely one in the window, Can't You See? And she just holds that out. It really uh, creates this feeling of longing. It's just Mm. really great. Smolian adds in soft and subtle fills behind the vocal lines, and he solos next. They pick it up to double time, interestingly, uh, with Wong walking the bass with a great pulse. Smilin snakes around some swinging phrases and double time lines. Malin Verney's next, a sparse and tasty rhythmic solo. He has some fun left-hand punches in there too. And Wong gets a bouncy bass solo before Reno joins back in. On the B section, they bring it back uh, to the original ballad tempo, I ended up with a nice little pause before the last for you in the uh, lyrics and some final fluffy phrases uh, on Smile and Barry. This is my favorite tune so far. I can't believe n- mm-hmm. no one's recorded this. It's just a, a gorgeous sounding song. Yeah, maybe this will, maybe they will now after oh, this yeah. album is out. So this, we'll this is, yeah, this is a great tune and they mm-hmm. do it really well. Track five is You're a Joy, uh, with lyrics from Bernie Hannigan. Uh, first recording of this was by Ted Dameron in his orchestra, 1962. Malin Verne gives a four-bar piano intro for the bouncy swinging tune, and Reno comes in. It's a 24-bar melody. She does a good job with phrasing on this tune. It's got a lot of tricky phrasing and kind of f- phrases that cross measures interestingly. You know, they don't end where then you think the normal four-bar kind of phrasings will go. They modulate it and go around the melody again. Uh, she does uh, go down nice and low at the end and Smiley and Wilson have a few rounds of trading fours of solo fun. Uh, Wilson really mixing up the drum ideas. malin Verney follows that with another light and tasty piano solo with some playful touches and Reno returns for another round of the melody and a nice little tag ending. It's a very happy and uplifting tune. Track six, Take a Chance on Spring. This has got lyrics by Mailey Daniela. I'm not sure of the first recording, but, uh, interestingly, this was done by, uh, Georgie Fame, uh, English singer, you know, kind of, uh, not purely jazz, more maybe like R and B and jazz, uh, and, uh, a singer, mm-hmm. Karen Krog, uh, they did a 2018 recording of Tad Dameron's songs called On a Misty Night, and also done by, uh, Anyone who's interested in Dameron's music, uh, look for this album. Uh, A sax player and arranger, Paul Combs, had a recording called Unknown Dameron, uh, released in 2019. Also, he's the author of a book called Dameronia that was published in 2012. You can find it on Amazon. Uh, So if you want to dig deeper into Dameron's music and history, check those out. Uh, Reno starts this tune, a cappella, in a slow rubato. Uh, for the intro round, which goes on for about uh, 47 seconds. Just Wilson joins under her on drums for the start of the main tune in an upbeat swing tempo, and she goes through the whole 32-bar form on her own. Uh, That's a nice show of a good sense of pitch. (laughs) You better start and Hmm. end right on uh, pitch or things are going to be off. The lyrics of this tune encourage not letting spring pass you by for a chance at love. And Smilin' comes in next for a solo round, and still only the drums are there uh, for support. We've got no uh, harmony or uh, chords going on, Uh, but not to worry because he outlines enough of the harmonies that you can still follow the uh, tune nicely. Once more around for Smilin' and finally Piano and Bass join in enthusiastically with a great swing groove. Malin Verney gets a solo next, nice left hand chord hits again, and uh, Reno returns for another round of the melody, and then it's just down to the drums again, right in tempo to a kind of uh, sudden ending here. A uh, very nice arrangement. I like how they mix that up and uh, just leave things over the drums there. Track seven, My Dream. And Do You Remember Now? It's a compilation. Medley, I guess. Yeah, Medley. My Dream lyrics by Tad Dameron and Do You Remember Now Jack Reynolds. Uh, My Dream was recorded by the Mad for Tad ensemble. It's kind of like a, a big band unit in 2018, but I could not find any reference or recording to Do You Remember Now. It begins with a great loping intro from Melon Verney that takes you back in time. This is a old style of piano playing. It's really Hmm. fun, nostalgic uh, kind of groove to it. Reno joins in with lyrics. It's about a dream that must have been about you and told her someday you'd be hers. The tune is a 32-bar, AABA form. Smilin' has a few backing, licks, and he's up for a flowing melodic solo first. Uh, So far, it's only still Malin Verney underneath, but he's got everything covered with a great accompaniment. Reno returns for another round of the B and A sections to a little slowdown. Then Mullen transitions with a new bouncing feel and we're into the next tune, Do You Remember Now? Uh, Reno sings the new tune. It's about memories of love. Do you remember now those things I can't forget and the dance on the night we met? I like that line. Uh, Another great uh, melody. It follows the same A-A-B-A form. Then Wong walks the bass for a unique sparse, brush solo on toms uh, from Wilson. Malon Verney joins back in on chords for Wong to get a melodic bass solo of his own, and then he gets his own piano solo with some very playful rhythmic ideas in it. Uh, Smiling gets his own solo too, uh, with a great relaxed sense of phrasing here, and Rena returns for another round of the lyrics, taking a few more liberties with embellishments uh, and the swing feel to give it a fun rhythmic ending to take it out. As it's a medley fusion of two songs, it's the longest track on the album at about 10 minutes. By now, you're realizing that any of these tunes, it could have easily become standards uh, because the quality of these instantly familiar melodies and great harmonies, it's just great writing. Amazing that uh, we could be hearing some of these for the first time here. Uh, We're going to get "Sweet Life for track eight. This one's got lyrics by Bernie Hannigan. Uh, This was recorded by uh, the saxophonist uh, Houston in 2013. It's got a unique slow straight groove that's set up with an 8-bar trio intro. Reno sings the lyrics here about a dream come true from going through ups and downs. Uh, This one has really nice chord changes. They all do, but uh, I I thought these stood out. Uh, She really pushes it on the B section of the melody. Smiling adds a few fills, comes out next for the first solo that has some licks here that really dig down in the lower berry range. You know, sounds so good when you get down low Mm there. I always love that, yeah. yeah. Arena returns, another run through the whole 32-bar melody, then they vamp out on the alternating chord ideas from the intro for Smiling to blow on and on with some more dreamy licks to a final little slowdown and then a few cute tinkles uh, from Mel and Vernie to end it. (laughs) Track nine, I'm Never Happy Anymore. More lyrics from Irving Reed. Uh, This was recorded on uh, Soulmates, a recording from uh, Charlie Rouse, the tenor saxophonist. It was recorded in 1988, released in 1993. Seek this one out. He's got Barry saxophonist, uh, Sahib Shahab, and the great uh, Brazilian trumpet player Claudio Roditi uh, on this recording. Also, it's on that uh, Georgie Fame and Karen Krog, 2018 recording I mentioned, On a Misty Night. It's got a Roboto start, Mount Vernon and Reno only. The lyrics asking, how come she's never happy anymore? Even with gentlemen knocking on her door. Did she grow up too soon one day? Those are good lyrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, Reed was uh, good at lyrics. Those are good lyrics. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, the two of them go through the whole form as a duo. Reno holding the last note on a pause on anymore. With a rising pitch into the next uh, round uh, with a repeat of the lyric. I thought that's a very nice touch. Bass and drums join in with a slow, steady tempo. Smiling takes over with the solo, and he shows off his gentle side on the big horn here. Uh, Malin Verney follows with a solo of trickles that sound wonderfully like he has uh, sticky fingers. It's a great sense of hesitation, mm-hmm. like uh, he's got molasses pouring on the keyboard. Uh, Wong gets a woody solo, uh, both with <laughs> bounce and melody, still sounding warm when he gets up high. Uh, it's a very quiet playing uh, that sort of takes over here. He gets just 16 bars on the A sections, and then Reno returns on the B section to take it through to the end, a nice dark low note ending and soft additions from Smiling and Malin Verney. It's, it's got some uh, nice lyrics, and they really match the, uh, the music well. Another one. Uh, I'd like to hear more versions of. Uh, Then we've got uh, Never Been in Love, uh, another Irving Reed lyric tune. Uh, You can find this one on that Paul Combs uh, on Non Dameron from 2019, and also on the Vanessa Rubin recording I mentioned as well. Uh, This one's got a playful roboto but rhythmic intro from Mal Verney. Reno joins in with the first strain of the lyrics uh, here that tell us love was just an absurdity and could never happen to her. Wilson kicks up a beat on the drums with some fills to a medium swing with a nice walking from Wong and a clear cymbals. Reno comes in really swinging on the tune, which has an interesting extended form of 44 bars, the last 12 that have a really cool stop time section to them. Smilin's up for two rounds of enthusiastic swinging soloing uh, with endless flowing ideas and some fun low scoops, getting down low on the Berry again. Malenvery gets a couple rounds for himself playful, rhythmic ideas in his phrases, fun descending runs on the final stop time. And Reno comes back for another swing through the melody and a nice extended ending with Smilin joining in on her uh, vocalization. They ended up quoting the last phrase of the probably uh, most famous uh, Dameron song, If You Could See Me Now. Uh, It's a little quotation (laughs) to end it uh, to a big finish. Mm. So what a great collection of Dameron songs. Great melodies that become instantly familiar. There's wonderful harmonies that invite improvisers with subtle little diversions and a few surprises and structures. A nod to the lyricists too uh, for some really subtle lines that match the musical emotions really well. Uh, Smilin has made great arrangements here, varying the tempos, rhythmic styles, mixing up the solo forms to keep each tune a little fresh and different. Malin Verney really sets the mood for the tunes with tasteful yet playful rhythmic playing and solos, and Wong holds down the low end, and he has nice bass solos too. And I enjoyed Wilson's creative and restrained drumming ideas. Uh, I thought uh, the young Reno does an excellent job with phrasing, sense of swing, and a youthful earnestness. There aren't many or any, in some cases, recordings to model yourself after with these tunes, yet she sounds confident in her interpretations. Uh, Although she has a nice warmth to her voice, she doesn't have what she doesn't have is a much variety of tone, Uh, so there's some sense of sameness to the quality of her voice over the program. Uh, But you know, she's 18; she's got a bright future, and uh, I'm sure she'll only grow from uh, this point on.
1: Yeah, not not much variety of tone yet. I mean, she's yeah. she's just so young. I mean, yeah. she just needs to get on the road and start really doing this. Yep. Um, but yeah, the the songs are really appealing. I like them too. Um, and I think Smolians playing, of course, that was really the draw for me because I really wanted mm-hmm. to hear that um, that Barry Sax sound as always. the uh, The pianist on this record was great too. I really liked yeah, him a lot. He's uh, really good. Lots of swing and a bluesy feel when he's playing. They really brought these songs like to life. The, the baritone saxos were a real pleasure throughout the throaty tone of it. Yeah. I just like, when I hear a classical music work that hasn't been recorded before, I want to hear other interpretations so I can get a more dimensional feel for them. Mm. And I kind of feel, feel like that here too. Like I want, maybe I'll go back and listen to some of the older recordings, but I really hope people are going to start uh, recording these again. Another thing about Anais her she has a very adult sounding voice for her yeah. age. I was really amazed to hear that yeah. she was so young. You know, she sounds all, she's got this, the, the tone of it just sounds kind of deep and I think it makes it sound older than she is. Yeah, I'd like to hear some, you know, just little changes in timbre and, you know, f- more flexibility of approach to the songs. Uh, one one thing I, I think the thing for me is when you hear a, a vocalist on a recording, she's usually the focal point. Mm-hmm. And the other musicians are playing to to back her or him up. Uh, in this case, I feel like she was kind of you know this is more of like Smullions and the yeah. you know the, the ensemble's mm-hmm. record, and she's there, yeah, you know, singing the songs. He kind of got that sense that they were the right, yeah, that um, they were the stars. So I don't know. I'd I'd like to hear this by a, a vocalist who's leading, let's
0: say. Yeah, you know? it's interesting because, as I said, and I'm sure that's because of her her youth, but her um, youth and the yeah. fact that you know a lot of his tunes. Mm-hmm were written as instrumental tunes, right. and the lyrics were added later. Um, ah, I although see. I didn't know that. Although, mm. I thought that uh, especially Reed's mm-hmm. lyrics were, you know, pretty good uh, and interesting, colorful ideas in there as well. Mm. Yeah, so Tad Dameron's music, uh, a nice uh, kind of a deep study of that. and hopefully Yeah, ten tunes. We should tunes have more, more records like this. This would yeah, be great, because these, be these tunes need to be heard. All right, now we're going to... Finish up with the vocals this evening. Something different, because this is going to have mostly original compositions, all but one, actually. This is the um, Canadian vocalist, Katie George. Now, she spells her name C-A-I-T-Y-G-Y-O-R-G-Y, but it's pronounced George, as (laughs) we'll find out for sure as we go on. Uh, The title of this recording is called Featuring and this is La Reserve Records, came out uh, just November 4th. The featuring idea is going to feature a lot of different soloists on all the tracks, and we've got also here on piano Felix Fox-Papas, hyphenated name, upright bass Thomas Heimbunch, and drums Jacob Woodski. and we've got a lot of uh, guests who I'll highlight as we uh, go through the tunes, and Katie George is our oldest singer here at the ripe old age of 24. (laughs) uh, So still very young, but uh, she's uh, got some interesting skills all around here as well as uh, writing the tunes. She's a good scat vocalist too. Yeah. uh, I was pretty impressed by that. Yeah. And this is, a big collection of songs. There's 13 tunes on the album, and they're almost all really upbeat and, uh, <laughs> swingy tunes. Uh, and we're gonna get off to a real swingy start right on the first tune called I Feel Foolish. Uh, it's a fast tune. Cute lyrics about confidence and foolishness to be chosen by the one you fancy. Uh, George has a fleet sense of swing over the fun stop time in the A sections of the melody. Heimbutch and Wutsky push the swing, tight walking bass and nice tight drum cymbals. Daniel Barta is the guest here, contributing a real swinging solo with a nice tartness of tone on the alto sax after the vocal verse. Then we get a fun interlude with vocalization and sax on syncopated backing lines for some drum fun from uh, Wutsky. They switch off to piano and bass, then to trade with Woodski to build into a final vocal verse from George. There's a line, speak a simple phrase that demands some skill. And the uh, really fast lyrics of aloofness and foolish that come out in here at mm. a blazing tempo uh, take some enunciation skill indeed. Uh, but George mm. pulls it off with a lot of charm. So we're in a good mood already with this tune. Track two is called Cover Up. Uh, This one has a slower bluesy swing groove with a sax arrangement on it and some fun rhythmic figures and pauses as it goes. Uh, The lyrics, yes I found myself often telling fibs covering up what you did. Uh, Those iron bars seem awfully homey when you are willingly trapped behind an unlocked door that protects you from attack. That sounds rather dysfunctional to me, (laughs) but uh, George gives a bit of sassy charm to it. There's a vocalization and sax solo section before an alto solo from Christine Jensen, uh, who also sounds nicely relaxed and a bit sassy too. Uh, There's a crisp kind of tenor solo too here, but the notes don't indicate who it is on, on tenor sax. George takes a scat solo after that. She's quite good at creative syllables. She, she is. Yeah, yeah. Makes up a lot of ones I've never heard before. Uh, then we get another round of the vocals with some more lifting phrases, uh, this time into a final bluesy scat vamp before the ending. There's also
1: like some stylish pronunciation on this tune, like when she's saying cynical. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <so> yeah. <laughs> Pronounced at the end like an O. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting.
0: And we're gonna get the only uh, standard on the recording here, uh, the Rogers and Hammerstein. It might as well be spring. Uh, but you know this is often uh, done as a ballad, but they give it the uh, upbeat treatment here with a nice arrangement uh, starts with the trio uh, locked in on an intro of syncopated pulsing and little vocalized and trumpet line to lead in. George keeps it rhythmic in her phrasing, and they change up the feel nicely on the bridge. We get to hear the vocalized and trumpet line a couple more times, filling in on the way and into a trumpet solo from Kyle Pogline. He sounds agile and boppy, and he has some real fun interval lines in his solo. Uh, George returns on a bridge into another verse. They continue on with some fun interplay between George and Pogline and uh, with vocalization and trumpet improv to a slowed down ending. Uh, It's a fun and very springy arrangement. I liked it. Mm. Check four, start again back to the originals it's a rubato verse of just vocals and piano bass drums and guitar join in on the pre-chorus it's got a lazy 6-8 feel to the rhythm uh the lyrics would you a- adhere to staying locked in while we wait for the world to start again i wonder that's both in the verse and chorus maybe it's sort that, of pandemic that's inspired yeah that's gotta be a covid reference pandemic inspired yeah felix fox papas gets a piano solo. Next, uh, with some bubbly ideas. He's a very bubbly piano player, uh, yeah. even over the slow tempo. Uh, then here, this one features uh, Joycelyn Gould on guitar. She gets a solo. It's a relaxed sense uh, of phrasing, fluid lines. George returns for another round of the pre-chorus and chorus with a little space for solo vocal lines before the ending. It's funny you use that word, uh, bubbly, because I think that's the yeah. word I'm going to use to describe this entire album. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really part. Track five is A Moment. Uh, It's another swinger. It bursts right out with some scat and alto sax together on the intro. Uh, The moment, it turns out, is a chance encounter with a kiss. Uh, It sounds like a rhythm changes bass tune to me. Uh, Piano and drums drop out on the refrain, leaving George alone over the bass for a nice contrast. Allison Owl has been filling in with backing lines under the vocals on alto sax and she breaks out into a swinging solo. I like her phrasing and sassy articulation, uh, adding in some bluesy ideas along the way. George gets a scat solo next. Uh, She's a really good scat singer. Uh, More creative syllables and always a good strong sense of swing. Then Fox Papas is uh, next on piano. Springy swing lines and tight left-hand chord stabs. Uh, Witski gets Time for some drumming, while well, the bass keeps chugging away and the piano adds a few injections, and they give it a playful ending with scat and sax sections around one more refrain of lyrics. Track six, Look the Other Way. This is a got a syncopated stop time intro with some breathy tenor sax from Lucas Dubovic that leads into a slower swing tempo for the vocals. There's some scheming and dreaming suspicion in this relationship with someone else's lipstick on the collar. I like the line, how much tragic fiction do you plan to write? (laughs) (laughs) The pre-chorus has some nice chord changes and the slow tempo uh, give George some space to add little lilting vocal embellishments with a nice swing feel. Uh, Dubovic gets a languid, tenor sax solo with a smooth tone in the lower register and he also has some edge on his tone when he goes up high. And George follows with a scat solo, exchanging eight bar phrases with Dubovic. Uh, Hainbuck is uh, next uh, with a melodic bass solo and then George returns for another verse and chorus run. Dubovic uh, gets to take it out with a final little stop time sax thing. Track seven, I Miss Missing You. This one has a solo guitar intro, uh, played softly by Joyce and Gould, it's just voice and guitar uh, all the way on it. Uh, really, uh, very delicate and sparse. Uh, the structure is a straight verse, uh, just verse, verse, verse. Uh, George sings too, all about missing things associated with someone special. But when I'm again used to your charms, I miss missing you. There's a lesson in there for. Young, you young fellows. Uh, <laughs> check that out. Uh, anyway, Gould takes a solo verse very delicately, and then George returns uh, for a final verse. This is a nice, uh, soft, contrasting tune midway through the recording. Breaks up all that bubbly swing that we're hearing here. Then we're going to get uh, Tis Autumn, and uh, this is a slow swinger with stop time, backing tenor sax lines from uh, the well-known Pat LaBarbera been around for a long time uh, the lyrics uh, herald the arrival of the cold weather nicely they say old father time checked so there'd be no doubt called on the north wind to come on out then cupped his hands so proudly to shout la-di-da-di-da-di-da di-da, tis autumn hmm. yeah, like it is right now uh, <laughs> la barba gets a solo uh verse thick and soft tone uh, fox pappas has another solo with bubbly lines George returns for another chorus uh, with a real pregnant pause before it finishes and continues with some final sax phrases from La Barbara to the final lyric. Uh, My Cardiologist, track 9, uh, this has got a kind of fun Latiny drum beat and bass line, uh, make an intro with a little soft sax from Kyle Tartar Stoll. Each verse George gets to check with a specialist, cardiologist, optometrist, podiatrist. Uh, but neither they nor her general practitioner can explain her love-struck symptoms. Uh, The tune switches up to swing on the chorus for a nice contrast. Tartarstall has a a tenor sax solo here with playful intervals to get started into some smooth swinging. Then George gets another swinging scat solo on this tune, and Fox Papa's a piano solo as well. Uh, They reset with the intro idea before another run through verses 1 and 2 the chorus, and then verse 3 to finish it up. Track 10, Ideal. This one has another fun stop time in the verse and chorus that contrasts with the hard swinging pre-chorus section. Uh, There's a fun sort of hanging on the word ablaze before going into the chorus that's a nice little touch. The lyrics describe more love-struck symptoms. Uh, It's got a fluid swinging clarinet solo from Virginia MacDonald and a scat solo from George. Some more trading off with clarinet. Uh, They run through the whole vocal pattern again, have some fun vamping uh, for more clarinet and scat interplay to take it out. Track 11, I Never Knew. This one's got a pretty Roboto vocal and piano intro. Midway through the verse, it gets uh, into tempo with the addition of bass and drums. The arrangement is fun, leaving George just over the bass at the start of the chorus with a little stop time kind of spots thrown in along the way. The lyrics tell us uh, all the things she didn't do and didn't know until she met you. This one features Timish Kosnarski on alto sax. He's had little fills along the way and gets a break into the solo. I really like uh, his tart tone and uh, sense of articulation here, and he builds a really nice climax on the solo. Uh, george scats away again into another round of the chorus uh, being left on her own to start it out uh, and finishing up with a little flair. track twelve the feeling is mutual and this one's a swinging vocal duet with another vocalist laura anglade that describes the mutual affections and conflicts of two friends. It's a very fun arrangement of phrase exchanges and then shared mutual lines. Uh, Fox Papa's has a rollicking piano solo here. A gets a bouncy melodic bass solo too. The two ladies get a scat exchange to add to the excitement before a final verse and chorus. Uh, It's all good fun. The final track is called It's Pronounced George, this time written G-E-O-R-G-E, but there's no lyrics on this tune. The title makes sure that we know how to say our name, though. This is a swinging scat vocal unison verse with uh, Christine Jensen on alto sax and uh, Virginia McDonald on clarinet. Uh, Jensen rips off first with a solo from that, and then McDonald. George follows with a scat vocal solo with some good bluesy and boppy ideas included. And Fox Pappas gets a piano solo, some high-ringing notes and Heimbach has a bass solo with a bluesy bounce, and they take it all out with another round of the verse uh, altogether. So, 13 tunes, a long recording, just over an hour. George is a real swinging singer. She's skilled at singing, and her writing is very good too. A variety of song structures, all arranged well here. The featuring idea is fun, because we get to hear a mix of different soloists along the way, It's uh, mostly all upbeat and positive. Think swinging Ella Fitzgerald as a model. The only frustrations we encounter lyrically along the way are just little relationship quibbles. There's no dark corners of existence to peer into lyrically. Um, Maybe she's just that cheerful of a person. Uh, In any case, her enthusiasm is infectious. If you put this recording on, you'll be having swinging fun in no time. It reminds me to what you said about her the uh, about um
1: you remember the gymnast Mary Lou Retton she won like a oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. bunch of gold medals in the Olympics when we were younger yeah. um she was um she she was always like really happy and bouncy mm-hmm. and just, just kind of like this this idea of like the you know American girl at the time mm-hmm. you know and I had a friend in college who was from her hometown and he said she you know she has like a few brothers or something like that and he said the whole family is like that Oh, really? <laughs> he said they're just really hard to be around because they're so happy and so energetic. <laughs> <laughs> which well, I thought was really funny the way he said it. Yeah, interesting. But mm-hmm. I kind of got that sort of from this, too. Uh, it's 13 tracks and they're all bubbly, and I kind of came away from it feeling like I drank like 13 magnums of champagne. <laughs> it was, really, it was a little just too much happiness for me, you know? It was really good. It's very really clever. The, the vocals. They reminded me of like Broadway, I guess, in the 30s and 40s. Not that I was there, but I, you know, this, the songs and some, something, mm. something like that. Um, the clever lyrics of like Ira Gershwin in the 30s and 40s, that sort of, um, mm-hmm. vibe this record has. It, it really felt to me like something like from a past age. Like, and it also had a really cool album cover. I just want yeah. to mention the album cover art was really interesting as well. Mm. So check that out. The saxes are hoarse and a little raspy in their tone, sort of like that era. George has a bright musical personality and she's recorded. This is one thing I noticed about this record. She's recorded very close up. You can actually hear her breathing Mm -hmm. into the microphone as well as the tone. You know, it's a
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) sort of like those old, like, you know, crooner singers, like the whole. You know the sexiness of that for people was that this person could be singing in this really intimate tone, and it's like like they're whispering in your ear and yet they're yeah. far away and that's yeah. what I think what drove people drove all the girls crazy back in the day when like people like Frank Sinatra sang mm-hmm. you know it's that new sound yeah. Bing Crosby too yeah um before Frank Sinatra uh so, so there's a bit of that too she scats well too, like you said yeah, um I'm really good that reminded me a little bit of Diana crawl, one of the few people who still scats. that's also Jasmeya horn scats as well, mm. so it's nice to hear that coming back too. Um, yeah, fun, light, enjoyable album. Entertaining.
0: Yeah. 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 Good yeah. swinging and Bubbly. fun. Bubbly. Good swinging and mm.
1: fun.
0: Yeah, good swinging fun. <laughs> An episode full of all kinds of vocals. There's a lot of variety on here, but there's definitely all singing and lots of swinging as we go. These great originals on George's album. We've got a deep dive into Tad Dameron's music, and we've got... Uh, Kind of a mix of things. Uh, another interesting program for Summer of Joy. Well, we've got some surprises in the classical there too.
1: Yeah. So, in some, adult vocal music is alive and well and yeah. safe for the future.
0: Yeah. We should probably do this more often, but I don't think yeah. we'll do it too often. But once in a while, it's good to have. <laughs> well, we a, get interesting uh, recordings like these and be yeah, great, you know. Worth doing. Well, next week, we're going to have a few things we can tell you about. We're going to have the next installment of Runitsky releases.
1: Oh, yes, we are. The CPO
0: recording. Uh, We're finally ready to uh, talk about that. I started listening to that today, in fact. It's uh, pretty good. So uh, thank you, Daniel Bernardson, for our hand-delivered copy of the CD. uh, Yeah, thank you for that, which I now have in my possession, which is very nice. From Germany to Sweden to Japan. Uh, So uh, we'll talk about that. And I'm going to do a first... All German jazz episode next week.
1: Yeah. Now you would think I would pair that with old German classical music because that's the easiest thing in the world to do. But as it turns out, yeah. at the moment <laughs> I'm not listening to a lot of yeah. like German music. It would have to be all like 19th century or something like that. Mm-hmm. I do have that a Beethoven cello sonatas thing I could do, but I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm gonna go off off of the beaten track a bit next week. I think I've got gotcha. a few surprises.
0: Well, of course I've done a few uh, German artists in the past, but we've never done a whole episode of all German. So it's a first time for everything. German jazz. Yeah. I hope the uh, Christmas releases start to get better because <laughs> my list isn't looking too promising yet. So.
1: I've got, I've got some good classical stuff. Oh, interesting. I don't know, I haven't okay. heard them yet, but interesting looking classical, uh, Christmas releases. Usually mm. I'm not a big fan of a lot of the recent classical Christmas music because it kind of tends mm. to be samey, but I think there's some good, interesting stuff this year.
0: Huh, that's good. Well, hopefully something else will uh, pop up in the next uh, couple of weeks in the jazz. I you know, think, we're doing so. this
1: podcast now and I really don't need any more class, uh, any more Christmas records in my collection, <laughs> no, <yeah. laughs> but now, which is going to be piling up, Yeah. you know, as the yeah. years go on because of this, this podcast, <laughs> because I just can't keep my hands off him if we talk about
0: him and I like him, so. Mm-hmm. Anyway, if you want to find out the recordings uh, for next week's episode, they'll be up on the playlist uh, for Deezer shortly after, in the same day, this episode uh, gets published. You can also uh, find them or a link to them on our Facebook page, too, because I'll I'll post that uh, after the episode, so be sure to check that out. As always, thanks to Fast Signs of Staten Island for a glowing neon logo, And uh, once again, if you need some more podcasts to uh, carry you through the week, check out uh, Tom Gauker's Something Came From Baltimore for some music interviews, uh, Neon Jazz for more interviews, and The Same Difference for different perspectives on human interaction and community. The links will be in the description there. And we're going to be up to episode 90 next week, Mike. Oh boy, it's a big milestone. Coming up to the biggest milestone. 100. 100, just
1: almost gonna, almost 10 away. Looking for that. Yeah, uh, episode 90. 90 is a good number.
0: The good 90s number. were good. Yeah, I think the 90s episodes are going to be great too. I'm sure of it. So we'll see you again next week for episode 90. Until then, keep listening. Check out the playlist. And we'll be back for episode 90 next week. Gerald Albright, Rhea Schneider, Charlie Hunter, Booth Robillard, Sean Jones, Walter Beasley, Steve Swallow. Something Came From Baltimore is a jazz, blues, and R&B podcast and radio show, and it's not really about Baltimore. Subscribe to the podcast and listen to your favorite artist, or future favorite artists that something came from Baltimore and be a part of that Be More music scene. Joe Lovano, Jeff Coffin, Paula Cole, Danuso, Makatani, and Passio, Chess Smith, Thumbscrew, mostly.